2: once again, the start of a brand new weekend. First weekend in spring. Hopefully we get some nice weather. And uh, we will begin this, the final show of the week, as we do each and every final show of the week, by giving you an opportunity to ask Frank absolutely anything you like. All you have to do is call 800-848-9222. Now, one of the complaints that we got Uh, via email last week, was that, um, and I think maybe there's some truth to this, is that it's a lot of the same people that tend to call with questions. So what I'd love to do, and I know we have people queued up already, that's fine, but uh, what I'd love to do is maybe for the first 15 minutes of the show, if you've ever called in with a question before, maybe don't call in right away. Maybe wait for 15 minutes and give People that have never had an opportunity to call in with a question before, an opportunity to ask it. And then, even if you've called in 100 times or however many times that we've done this, then maybe we just wait 15 minutes. Uh, Avoid the initial rush. That's what we'd ask. All right. In the meantime, it is time for.
1: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents
2: Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything.
1: Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything.
2: I am happy uh, to answer your questions to the best of my ability on any subject you like. 800 848 9222. That's 800 848 9222. Let me say hello to Igor in New Jersey. Hello, Igor.
0: Greetings, Frank. Hey, so, uh, this week's question I want to know a little bit more about uh, the Curtis and Cooby show. I was wondering how these two, if you happen to know, how these two guys met each other. How they end up coming to do a radio show together, considering they're sort of an unlikely couple? And I know you've talked a lot in the past about radio partnerships taking. Some Sometimes they take a little while to develop. Was their chemistry instant, or did it take a while? And, uh, you know, if you haven't had them already, I'd love to hear uh, Ron Kuby as a guest of yours on, on the show.
2: Okay, uh, well, let me take all those questions. Um, I'll take them backwards, okay? Okay. Um, So I've invited Ron on this show many times, and uh, he's decided he doesn't want to come on. So um, I don't think it's anything against me. I think it's sort of a bitterness that he has towards the radio station that I'm on and towards talk radio in general. I'll reach out to him again this weekend, but uh, I'm not going to beg him or anybody else that doesn't want to be on the show. Um, let me then think about the, the then w- the first question you had was how Curtis and Ron met. Well, Curtis wa- m- uh, was friendly, not friendly, but Curtis knew Ron's mentor. Uh, Bill, Bill Kunstler. Bill Kunstler, who was a, a famous a civil liberties attorney and a criminal defense attorney, among other things, he uh, is depicted in the Netflix movie the, about the trial of the Chicago 7. Bill Kunstler was a regular guest on the Curtis and Lisa Slewa show. And so uh, they, they were, I wouldn't say they were friends, but they were friendly. And when Curtis was shot, um, uh, Kubi and Kunstler had uh, sent Curtis a very uh, a very nice bouquet of flowers a uh, get well uh, b- get well sort of bouquet and then when Kunsler died occasionally when they would need when they would need uh, w- when Curtis was doing a solo show and he would need a-, a legal expert to interview he would occasionally interview Ron Kuby who was and is still v- very brilliant and incredibly entertaining on the radio so uh, they uh, they were doing a segment. I want to say this was when Ron Kuby was representing Daryl Kaby, who was one of the four individuals shot by Bernard Getz, who's a regular listener to this show. And uh, Kuby was representing Daryl Kaby, and um, and Kaby was suing. This is around 1995, 96. Kuby was suing Goetz uh, no, Yeah, Kuby was suing Getz on behalf of Daryl Kaby, and. Um, and They they Curtis, because Ron was a big newsmaker at the time, had him on as a guest and he they started getting into a very heated but somehow mildly entertaining debate about the Getz case based on a column by Jimmy Breslin. Now, Curtis tried to do with Ron the same thing that he tries to do with everybody is he weaves a tale and says things that are mostly true. And then he inserts things into a column or an article that aren't there. So um, Curtis was reading from a column by Jimmy Breslin about the Bernard Goetz case. Unbeknownst to Curtis, because this was a phone interview, unbeknownst to Curtis, Kuby had that same article in front of him. And uh, when Curtis added, did his typical thing that he does and adds a line that he creates out of whole cloth... Kubi says no. That he didn't. He didn't put that. That is absolutely fictitious. That's not in the article. And so the program director of WABC at the time he found it entertaining. And he's a guy that really liked uh, putting trial lawyers on the radio uh, all the time. So he invited Ron to come in for an hour on I believe a Monday night along with Curtis. And Curtis said to his credit, when Ron got here, he said, "Well, you're not going to just stay and do this for an hour. Why don't you just stay for the whole show?" And uh, Kubi stayed for the whole show, and then they started doing this on a weekly basis. It it was great; it was very well received. And then they started doing it on um, on a weekend show on Saturday mornings, and it was very a very good Saturday morning show. The very popular on Saturday mornings, and then ultimately they moved to uh, weekday evenings, and then ultimately in around the year two. They moved to mornings, and then a few years later, they had that show on uh, MSNBC, which I might add was the favorite show of James Arness from Gunsmoke. His favorite TV show, he said, was Curtis and Kubi on MSNBC. Um, I think I answered all of those questions that you asked, Igor. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
0: Yes, you did. When did you start producing? You were a producer on that show, right?
2: Uh, I was many things. I was an intern. I was a tape editor. I was a phone screener. And then uh, I uh, I was a producer. Yeah, so I started... I started uh, working on that show in varying capacities, if memory serves, around November of 2003. I want to say it was uh, right after – maybe uh, November, December 2003, maybe right after the California recall election that year, right around then. Enjoy the weekend, Frank. Thanks, Thank Igor. Appreciate it. 800 9222 Alex is in California. Hello, Alex. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. It's
0: okay. I have uh, two sentences of explanation, and then I'll give, give the question. Uh, so uh, several weeks ago, I suggested that Curtis Silva host a political discussion group modeled after the McLaughlin Group on PBS, and he said he, he really liked the suggestion. So here's my question. Uh, I suggested that you and Anthony Weiner be
2: two permanent panelists on the group. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely, but uh, I think there's a lot better people that you can get than me first of all, Weiner is very difficult to debate with, so i mean i would I guess I am the closest to a centrist that we have uh on uh on the radio station, but uh, I think that's a great idea actually. And uh, maybe I could play that center role. Maybe you get uh, uh, Wiener on the left, maybe Laura Curran slightly left of center or David Patterson slightly left of center. And then maybe you can get Greg Kelly on the right or or or, um, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe Bo Snurdly on the right as well. Uh, But I think it's a great idea. I'd certainly be happy to uh, participate.
0: Oh, in fact, I I had suggested that you and Anthony Wiener would be representing the moderate left and moderate right, and then the other two seats would be rotated among more hard left, hard right people. Hey,
2: I think it's a great idea, Alex. Sign me up. Happy to do it. Thank you very much. Uh, Alex is in Brooklyn. Hello, Alex. Hey,
3: Frank. Thanks for taking the call. I want to ask you a bit of an interesting question. Um, did you ever think of the possibility of spies using your platform by calling in on the radio to send messages to enemy countries that they're working for? You know, through using different codes, while they're talking to you on the radio, as as they call in. Do you ever think of that possibility?
2: No, I never thought about that actually, and I have to think there's more effective ways for spies to communicate rather than take the chance that I'm going to take their call, go to them, and um, and kind of risk that we're going to give them enough time to get out whatever their code is. I mean, why wouldn't they just go on TikTok and have people follow them on on TikTok under surreptitious accounts?
3: No, I hear what you're saying, but this this you know this is a very this doesn't look suspicious in any way you just call him to a radio show and you say some word in a different manner and it's you know pretty it's not suspicious
2: you're not a spy are you alex no, I'm not. All right. I appreciate your candor there. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'd love to give some new people an opportunity for the next five minutes to uh, to call in as well. If you've never called in before, uh, try and call in now if you have a question about anything. 800-848-9222. Dan is on Long Island. Hello, Dan.
3: Yeah, Frank, that last guy's call remind me of uh, Hogan's Heroes. They get the messages over to uh, BBC. Anyway, yeah. Now, my I- question. My question is, give me the Frank Marano top five list of all time, any decade, uh, whether it be television or movie theme songs.
2: Oh, um, you know, I really think TV is in such a different category than than movies. All right. So I'm going to let me let me let me name let me name TV. I think um, you have to name uh, you have to name Hawaii Five O. Okay, I think you have to name uh, the Brady Bunch. Right. I think you have to name Gilligan's Island. Right. Um, I think that's uh, three. I think um, you have to name all in the family. And then um, what's my last one? There's so many good ones. I'm just going to say because it's so identifiable. I'm going to say Mission Impossible, but that it could also be Perry Mason. I'll give Perry Mason an, an honorable mention there. Um, so that's my, uh, you know, those are my top TV theme songs. As far as movies, you're really talking, you're talking about a song, a song from the movie.
3: Yeah, like Star Wars or yeah,
2: something Yeah, okay, like that. all right, so I have to pick, I have to pick the, um... The song from The Godfather, because it's another one of those songs you just hear the first few chords and you immediately are in the movie. I'll say the same thing of the main score from uh, Jaws and, in, uh, uh, other, uh, and not instrumental, but I think Staying Alive from Saturday Night Fever, the, the Bee Gees, a phenomenal, phenomenal song. Uh, flying, oh, high, cool. flying High Now from Rocky. Uh, same same situation and immediately brings you right into that movie. And then um, what else? What, what would my fifth movie uh, be? Maybe. Yeah, that was
3: also Grant's theme song.
2: It was which theme song? Oh, Bob, Bob Grant. Grant. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'll say Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. And then my honorable mention is New York, New York from the film New York, New York, which is now soon to be a uh, Broadway musical. Steve is on Long Island. Hello, Steve.
4: Good morning, Frank. Um,
2: uh, It's really
0: important, I think, for the Republicans to take this country by the reins in 2024. Uh, There's talk. It's not not really consistent talk, but there's talk about trying to uh, get Trump and DeSantis to play nice and go on a ticket together. Um, Why not Trump and Pence?
2: Well, I, I think um, both of them have said they would not do that again. Uh, Pence has said he doesn't want to run for vice president again, and uh, Trump has said he would not select Vice pre- uh, Pence for vice president again. So I think uh, maybe one of them might change their mind. But honestly, I mean, if your goal is to, is to see Trump elected, right, then I don't think that there's anybody that would vote for Trump just because he picks Pence. I think – Pence might have been needed for Trump to kind of shore up his base among the Christian right and Christian conservatives. But if you look at mm-hmm. the Supreme Court justices that, uh, that Trump put in and some of the other things that, he, that he, he did as president, I don't think he needs any help shoring up the Christian right. I think Trump does not want a running mate that's going to outshine him in any way, right? So I think someone that adds to a ticket – that can be president and that Trump would like, I think, is maybe somebody like uh Christy Nome uh, the governor of, right. of South Dakota. Uh, South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, I I think uh she'd be a very good uh running mate for Trump. I think somebody maybe even like um um Carrie you know, Wake's
5: a little too extreme, I guess, right? Who,
2: who did you say? Carrie Wake. I, you know what? Look, the the election as it stands now. Assuming the most likely candidates are are Biden and Trump, right, which I think is the most likely scenario at this point, Um, then we know where all but four states are going. Biden is locked in with 260 electoral votes. He doesn't even have to get out of bed. He's getting 260 electoral votes. Trump is locked in with 236 electoral votes. He doesn't even have to get out of bed. He's getting 236 electoral votes. So the question is. The election comes down to four states, Georgia, Texas. Uh, no, no, no. Trump's uh, Texas is solidly for Trump. So the election okay. comes down to Georgia, Nevada, Arizona and Wisconsin. So given that Arizona is such a pivotal state and Carrie Lake couldn't even win Arizona, I don't think she would be a good running mate uh, for for him. My. my good I, I I think my hope is that he would pick someone like Tulsi Gabbard, but I think she might be a little too liberal for him on a lot of uh, domestic issues and may- maybe even some foreign policy issues. Uh, I think Tim Scott could be an effective running mate for him, mm-hmm. uh, but yes. uh, I, uh, I I don't think that Carrie Lake gets him any votes. I, you want someone that's not going to turn people off, number one, and number two, that can maybe get you a few votes. So I like mm-hmm. Christy Noem for him. I like Tulsi Gabbard for him. Um, if you want to go really outside of the box, I, I'm sure there's a, a sector of the world that would love to see him pick uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, but uh, I don't know how likely that is. A good question, though, Steve. Thank you. Uh, Charlie's in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Oh, Thank you for taking my call, Frank. Uh, so
0: if the election were held, and you're just talking about if the two choices are Trump and Biden, and I, I think people know what the disaster, at least economically, Biden has been. Who do you think wins uh, the, the contest between I, Trump, had, had, had Trump and Biden again?
2: Well, I think it's too early to say. I think it comes down to the four states that I just mentioned. I, I do have to say... Uh, Even though Biden's I saw some numbers yesterday that Biden just came out to a a new record low approval ratings, uh, which does not exactly bode well for his electoral prospects. But I would at this point uh, give the a slight advantage to uh, to Biden. And here's why it has nothing to do with his job performance or Trump's job performance or their policies. Um, I think it's a question of demographics. Trump's strength uh, uh, in the last two elections has been with uh, older voters and a lot of of older white voters specifically. A lot of Trump's voters over the last three years and come next year, it'll be by the last four years, will have uh, died off. Additionally, you have a situation where uh, people that were not eligible to vote in 2020 – People that were 14 years old in 2020, uh, people that uh, are not yet 18, 15 year olds, 16 year olds, 17 year olds for the last three years, they're all going to be eligible to vote. And they're going to be voting in the first election since Roe versus Wade was struck down. Um, I think very few of them are voting. For Trump, and I think that might make the difference in terms of tipping the election to Biden. Now, if we hit a severe recession, Charlie, and um, we see something like what we saw in 2008, which is not out of the question, particularly at the rate the Fed continues to insist upon raising interest rates, then I think all bets are off. It, it, when there's a bad economy, I think you never know what's going to happen. We saw George H. W. Bush. Who uh, at the time had record high approval ratings, around ninety percent after the Persian Gulf War, we saw him lose re-election to somebody that was largely unknown, Bill Clinton, and it was due not to Ross Perot, but it was due to the it was due to the economy, as his advisors, James Carville and uh, George Stephanopoulos said, "It's the economy, stupid." Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Ray is in the boogie down Bronx. Hello, Ray.
4: Yes, Frank. You are named the
0: director of a movie. Armand White is the critic, so you got to be sharp. <laughs> which Which movie would you do? Would, would you do a movie about the founding fathers? An ex president? A sci fi movie? A sports movie? Or three men and a baby? Sid, Curtis, and you and Carmine.
2: Uh, let's, well, I think I would know the material of Curtis, Sid and, uh, and myself the best, but you said direct, not, uh, not right. So I have, uh, the aside, you know, I'd like to do sort of a blending of that, uh, of that concept, right? So you, you, you mentioned a sci-fi movie and a movie about presidents, also a movie about founding fathers. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there's this company and it's, this is real. That's sending the DNA of four former presidents into the White House. And I would love to do a movie where that DNA is stumbled upon by aliens. And out of curiosity and because they think these are the best Americans that ever lived because they were shot into space, they choose to make a clone based on the DNA of those four presidents, Washington, Kennedy. Eisenhower and Reagan. And those four presidents, uh, what they call themselves Founding Fathers 2.0, they make a decision. uh, They're still just as ambitious as they were when they were alive. They make a decision to uh, try to take over the government. I'd love to do a sci-fi comedy with that concept where you have the clones of Washington, Reagan, uh, Kennedy and uh, Eisenhower Try to take back the the U.S. government. That's the movie I direct. Thank you, Ray. Hey, let me take a quick break. 800-848-9222. four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your questions in a moment. I will mention I I didn't don't know that I mentioned this earlier. Whoever comes up with the best and most interesting question, as judged by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Kenneth, that person will be the proud recipient of a prize. Uh, I'm not sure what the prize is, but it'll be something cool from our our shop. All right, this is Ask Frank Anything, 800 848 9222. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, answering your questions on any subject at 800-848-9222
1: as part of The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank Ask Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank
2: Anything Ask Frank Anything David is in the Bronx. Hello, David.
4: Yes. Good evening, Frank, or good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd like to go in a different direction than sure. what I normally ask you about. Okay, so this is going to come out of left field. You're out on a date. Uh, you have dinner. You either are still in the restaurant or you're in the woman's apartment. And your stomach starts to rumble, and you realize you have to go to the bathroom. Now, you know that if you go, it's going to either be noisy and or extremely smelly. What hmm. do you do? Do you end the date or do you do your business and suffer the consequences?
2: Well, that's exactly what happened with George on Seinfeld. Right. Um, uh, the, you know, he had a, a situation like that and he he left. I um, no, I would not end the date. I mean, ass- assuming it was uh, some a date that I thought was uh, going going well. But uh, I uh, I would not end the date. I would try to mask either the noise or the smell as best best I can with whatever's available uh, available to me. Sometimes you can maybe use a running fountain uh, or uh, maybe the preemptive flush. Uh, hopefully it's a household that has poo I don't know if you're familiar with poo but my wife swears by it. It's where you spritz it into the toilet before you do your business and it eliminates any odor. And, um, uh, you know what, but if it doesn't work out for that reason, then, uh, then so be it. A similar situation happened to me on a, a small boat one time, and it was not a formal date, but I was with three or four other, group, uh, maybe four or five other people, and it was kind of a date-ish type atmosphere, and uh, I was very loud, and it was quite embarrassing, and you have to own it, unfortunately, David. There's nothing uh, nothing that can be done, you know? Uh, I guess it's an incentive to be careful what you're eating uh, when, when you're on that kind of a date. Good question, though. 800 848 to Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon.
3: Hey, Frank. If uh, you were on Soul Train, what would you wear? What uh, song would you dance to and what dance would you do?
2: Oh, it's a good question. Uh, what song would I dance to? It would be either Disco Lady or Everybody Was Kung Fu Fighting. And um, as far as my outfit, I don't know, I would try to come as close as possible to John Travolta's outfit in Saturday Night Fever, I realize everybody probably does that, but I would prob- that would be my that would be my move.
0: Nice. And uh, the song you would dance to? Or none of the uh, the dance you would
2: do? See, I'm not much of a dancer, so I I don't know what I would do. I I, I hate to dance. I find it really stressful, honestly. I I hate the pressure of dancing at weddings and things like that. But you know what my son has been doing? My son loves to dance. He dances um, all the time. Both to, you know, music that we're playing for him and if he has a toy or something that plays music. And he does a thing, which is very funny. I, I, I don't have video of it, but I'm sure my wife does. If she's listening, she can email it to me. Where he, he does this thing where he shakes his shoulders very comedically and, he, and very rhythmically with the music. So I would probably mimic, I would do the Carmine. I would do the Carmine shoulder roll. Uh, Brandon, thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 9222 Uh, Chris is on Long Island. Hello, Chris.
3: Hey, Frank. It's tough to follow up some of these topics. Hey, well, uh, you Natural know, cloning. stiff
2: competition.
3: Yep. Yeah, pooping on a date in Soul Train. As far as pooping on the date, they <laughs> should look at uh, Dumb and Dumber. That'll, uh, that'll help you out with that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, that's, I mean, uh, that didn't really solve many problems, though. <laughs>
3: All right, my question is going to be kind of boring compared to all those. In in light of all the recent exodus out of New York, what state, if you had to move, I know you don't want to move. If you had to move, would you move to?
2: Well, I, it would be either New Jersey or or Pennsylvania, uh, just because Gosh. of all the uh, family and friends that I have in. Uh, both of those places and because in, in the case of New Jersey they have so many things that uh, that I enjoy. Uh, they, I really enjoy Cape May. My wife and I rent a house there every year so to be able to say live there full time would be uh, I, I imagine really special and I really enjoy Atlantic City and all the municipalities in Atlantic County so uh, I could see myself being very happy living in either of those places but again my, as you stated Chris my strong preference is to live within the five boroughs. Thank you. 800 848 That's 800 848 Let me say hello to Leo on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo.
0: Good morning, Frank. Uh, I have a trick question. Three beautiful women from history. Which one of them you, I think there is just one candidate, which one of them you would marry and why you would not why the other two would not be good candidates greta garbo matahari and lucrezia borgia
2: um give me the last one
0: lucrezia borgia uh, the daughter of pope
2: oh um I, you know i'm trying to picture her i don't know what she what she looked like but i would pick greta garbo uh, i think greta garbo is really one of the um the great beauties of all time uh she struck me as um not only very talented but uh she uh, had such a depth uh to her acting and to her facial expressions. I always just thought she was very beautiful and so the uh, you can't go wrong with any of them, but I would pick uh greta garbo in that in that case eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 that's eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 bill is in Boston Hello bill
4: hey Frank
0: quick two quick questions have you read the book uh <laughs> leave the Guns and take the cannoli
2: no i haven't but obviously i know that line from the from the godfather but i'm looking at the book now it's by mark mark seal um you know i actually think i put him on my list of people to uh to interview no i'd like to read this book this book looks great i didn't mean it, to read it it's on my list
0: yeah it's a very good just it It goes into great detail about the making of the movie. Yeah,
2: you know what it was? Uh, We used to have someone that worked here, and she went to a a cable station who was a a guest booker, and she would help book guests. And I would keep a running list of guests that I would ask her to book, and and I'm looking at my notes now. I had Mark Seal on the list, and I have in parenthesis— Please request copy of the book from publisher. Now we don't really have a a guest booker, so I have to I have to track down all these guests and book all these books my and get all these books myself. So I may have to break down and just buy a copy if I can't get the publisher to send me a, a free one. But uh, it looks great. It looks like a great book. Did you have another quick question?
0: A quick question: How did you make out on the ratings? I know they were coming out past week or two.
2: Well, um we, we did a, a ten and a half share in the New York area. I haven't gotten numbers from uh, any of the other affiliates and that's a slight uh slight dip from where we were the previous month but uh we are uh we're still doing doing very well and you know the fact that 10 radio 10 and a half radios out of every 100 in the new york area are tuned to us i think is a great thing but i have some fun stuff in store for the next couple of weeks next couple of months so i have a feeling we're going to see a uh, a big uptick in terms of ratings as well If 848 have open lines if you have a question on any subject. Um,
4: Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al.
3: Yeah, hello, Frank. Uh, Frank, do you think
0: it's appropriate that the governor and the state assembly uh, uh, is pushing uh, affluent towns in the suburbs to build housing, even though these towns aren't taking uh, CDBG funds, federal funds?
2: Well, uh, um, no. The short answer is is no. I get what Hochul is uh, is trying to do, but I think a much better um, a much better way to handle this, and I I said this at the time in one of my local commentaries, would be a plan outlined by Howard Husick, who is generally considered he's a, he's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, which is generally considered a, a conservative think tank. And, look, he's. I understand what Hochul's trying to do. We do need more housing. There has yeah. to be more housing stock. I mean, everybody that I grew up with left New York, every single one, uh, for one reason, that they can't afford to find a house here. They can't afford to live here. They didn't want to leave all their family and friends in yeah. the neighborhoods they grew up with. So the question is, how do you increase the housing stock without um, without Destroying neighborhoods, particularly in the suburbs, and I thought Howard Husick uh, did a good job uh, explaining how. Rather than go through all the details that I uh, that I went through when I did it on one of my local commentaries at the time, I'm going to link to I'm going to link to it right now on my Facebook page at facebookcom moranofan and I would encourage people to uh, to have a look at it. It's really worth reading Great. because. And thanks for the call, Al, and the question. It's a good one. Uh, I think. The temptation is, and this is why I I so hate partisanship and ideological rigidity. The temptation always is, oh, I don't like Kathy Hochul. Kathy Hochul proposed something. Therefore, that something must be bad. Now, I do think this plan is not a good one, but I think the conceit behind the plan is is a good one. And I think Husek lays out a way in which it can be done with more carrots than sticks. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 Any question you have is fair game. Boris is in Queens. Hello, Boris. Hi, Frank. Um, I remember when George Weber,
3: you told that he was your friend. Uh, when he died, uh, on the news media, I think it was presented as a suicide. And you keep saying that uh, he was murdered. Uh, Was anyone? Arrested
2: uh, because of his murder? Yes, uh, yes. Um, First of all, it's it's fortuitous that you mentioned George, and I'm surprised that this did not occur to me yesterday. Yesterday was actually uh, George Weber's birthday. He would have been, (laughs) I believe, uh, 62 years old yesterday. Uh, But no, the media did not report that it was a suicide. Uh, They always reported that he was stabbed. And uh, yes, uh, I'm going to disconnect you, bars, just because your phone screwed up. Um, John Cateus was arrested for his murder, a real demon. Uh, and he, the first trial ended in a hung jury because of one lone holdout juror. He was tried again and, um, and that person was convicted and is serving, I believe, 25 years to life. Deservedly so. I mean, this was a demon who robbed the world of, uh, a, a fine, fine broadcaster and a fine, fine person, uh, George Weber. But, um... Uh, yes, uh, John Kataeus was arrested for his uh, for his murder. All right, uh, three open lines. If you have a question on any subject, we'll continue with Ask Frank Anything in a Moment, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I just posted the link to that uh, Ho- uh, uh, Howard Husick column on Hochul's housing plan. I think it's worth reading when you can. It's on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.
0: Everybody was
1: cold.
2: That's right, Kung Fu Fighting. Uh, you know whose song this was? This was Carl Douglas. Uh, Carl Douglas, still alive. we got to get him on the show. He has tried for years to uh, replicate the success that he had with this song, and he has not been able to do so. He had a few other uh, Kung Fu songs after this. None of them really took off as, uh, as well. Uh, He had a song, Dance the Kung Fu, which I liked, but nobody else liked it. It did not even crack the top 40. Um, So there you have it. All right. uh, We are in the midst of answering your questions on any subject. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222 with...
1: Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything anything.
2: I am doing my best to answer your questions on any subject. Have questions about Atlantic City, booze or cinema, Star Trek, pro wrestling, whatever the case may be. I would love to answer it. At least try to answer it. 800-848-9222 Ed is in, in Indiana. Hello, Ed. Hello, Frank. How are you doing, sir? I want to ask you uh, I, I got a joke from a, actually,
0: it's a mind riddle from a movie. Try and guess what movie it is and who is in it, Big Star. Um, I changed it up a little bit to be non gender specific. You're driving your car down the road, it's a small car, so it only has room for yourself, the driver. And one passenger, you come up on a, a bus stop and in your bus at the bus stop, there are three people, your best friend, the person of your dreams and another person who really, really needs to go to the hospital. What do you do?
2: Uh, I'm so I can only take one passenger.
0: That's not the question.
2: Well,
0: I, I, I... The question is, you're you, you are driving alone in your car and all has one seat Uh and you come up on the the bus stop and it's got three people there what do you do and i gave you the description of the three people your best friend the person of your dream and a person who really needs to go to the hospital
2: what do you do um uh, well i would tell uh i you know i would try to uh, get at least two of them to uh sit on one another's lap in the uh that's, that's that's not possible yeah and then i take the person that needs to go to the hospital
0: no. Can I give you the answer? Sure. Okay. So I just, I suggest this, this riddle to, to, um, to different people to tell it, um, you give the car to your best friend and let him take the person who really needs to go to the hospital and you stay at the bus stop with the person of your dreams.
2: Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty good at what movie is that from? That's, um, from 16 blocks with, uh, Bruce Willis.
0: Okay, well, sixteen blocks. And like Bruce I said, I, I changed. I changed up the uh, the gender specific,
2: specificity, specificity specificity, specificity.
0: I won't even say it. All
2: right, I uh, thank, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, everybody that's calling, just because we have a limited amount, amount of time, I would just try and ask.
1: Tax day is coming. Oh no.
2: Try and get to your question right away if you can. You know, uh, I understand, you know, sometimes you need to give a little context, but try and I love questions that begin with what, where, do, does, why, how. Those are all an indication that a question is coming. Um, You don't need to read the whole Magna Carta and then ask for my analysis of the glorious revolution. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank.
0: Frank, when you play the song at 4 o'clock, the man is singing, he's been looking for Jesus for such a long time. What are are the backup singers saying in response to that? I can never catch it.
2: Uh, So that is a a great song. The the group is the Swan Silvertones, and uh, the song is called uh, I'm Not Tired Yet. And uh, I'm trying to think, so um i'm trying to picture it, and also i'm going to try and pull up the uh the lyrics if I can here uh so it uh let me see if I can pull up the the lyrics the um and, you know can you cue that up Matt so people know what uh what she's talking about if uh if they have not if they have not heard it before this is the song that Jean is talking about. So I've been looking for Jesus for a long time. I've been running for Jesus for a mighty long time. I've been running for Jesus for a mighty long time.
3: That's and in the background, they're just saying, I'm not tired. So yeah, in
2: the background, they're just saying, I'm not tired yet.
4: Oh, okay,
2: thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Gina, appreciate it. 800 848 9222 Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin.
5: Hey, Frank. uh, I have a a hypothetical. I'm pretty sure you said before you liked Quantum Leap, didn't you? Uh,
2: Yeah. It wasn't one of my favorites, but I enjoyed it.
5: Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But but, all right. Here's my hypothetical for you. If you could go back and, like, let's say spend a week in time as a political leader
0: from the last, let's say, you know, 20th century through today, like
5: 123 years who would you be? And like, if you go for one week and you could, you could come back and be yourself and everything else. And who would you be? And what would you do?
2: (laughs) Mm, Let's see. Um, uh, Well, I'm trying to think: Would I do something that changes history, or would I do something just to kind of uh, get a a thrill of uh, about well, being that person? Well,
4: well, that's up to you.
5: But may, may well, because you, I mean, obviously, you could step into somebody who was evil, you know, and, and maybe change history. But uh, but let's just say it. Let's say you had the conditions that it isn't going to affect your own personal life, you know. So you're not going to like screw up your own timeline. You're just going to come back. Well, so you can't. But you're gonna you're gonna change something historical, though.
2: Yeah. I probably um, – look, I would probably go back and be Teddy Roosevelt, and I'm trying to think what I would do. And I, I okay. think the thing that I would do – but again, this is something that changes history largely. I think the thing that I would do is run for, uh, run for a, a third term in 1908. Uh, Because I think Roosevelt always regretted that vow that he made in 1904 after he was elected that that would be his last term because no one would have questioned it because he took over for President McKinley. And really, I think that would have saved the country and the Roosevelt family a lot of heartache. And I think we would have been um, we would have been in a much better position as a country had uh, had he had he not made that. Two-term pledge back in nineteen oh four.
5: That that's actually that's actually a pretty good call. I like that. You know, all right, all right, all right, Frank. Thank Thanks. you, I Kevin. Appreciate, appreciate
2: it. it. Alyssa's in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa.
4: Hey, Frank. How are you this morning? Hanging in there. Thanks. Okay, my question is kind of like the Gilligan's Island theme. You, Rachel, and Carmine are shipwrecked, and my question is, um, over twenty years, you know, you're going to be there a while who are the
0: four people you would like to be shipwrecked with you, taking into account that Carmine is going to grow up with these people? Right, what okay. Influences?
2: Um, okay, I get four. All right, well, I'm picking my... Um Let's see. I. I, It's a very tough one. Uh, It's a very tough one because I have uh, a lot of family that I'd like to take, but also a lot of friends that I would like to take. And we're talking 20 years. Obviously, you know, we want someone on the younger end of things. Um, All right. I'm taking uh, my sister, Claudia, my sister-in-law, Sharon, and uh, my uh, my friend Vinnie Ignizio and my friend Arthur Idala. Those are my four. Okay. Yeah, I think that would be a good group. I think you we'd... didn't
0: think that you felt the need to choose a, a younger child so that
4: Carmine might have someone to grow up with.
2: No. We'll, well, maybe we'll have some more kids while we're stranded on that island. What else is there, oh, there to you do? Go. There's, There's no that's cable. The point. Right, there's That's no the point. <laughs> exactly. What else are we going to do? Um, we'll make some more. No, he could, could grow up uh, learning learning how to be mature. 800 848 Al's in Manhattan. Hello, Al.
3: Good morning, Mr. Arano. I know presidential questions are banned. I got one anyway. Mm-hmm. What president, he's six years old, is at 849 Broadway, and sees Abraham Lincoln cruising on by, dead, 10 days after he died, bringing his body all the way back
0: to Illinois. At, so, what, at uh, what age? He's six years old.
2: He was six years old. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to think, um, so it was somebody that was born in the 1850s, so that means by the time they got elected. Um, I, I want to say, I thought it was, sorry, go ahead. 20th a young boy
0: became president in the 20th century.
2: Right, I understand that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that it was um, that it was Woodrow Wilson.
4: Uh you yeah, wore glasses like Rob, uh, who's like like Wilson.
2: All right. Well, then, I'll, then then I'll say that it was Teddy Roosevelt
4: dead. yeah I blue. thought
2: it was, um but you know i i th- I know he saw lincoln 's funeral procession in New York, but i didn 't think he saw it on the way back to illinois, so that was you know, that the was the and and the problem was the body was decaying so bad, but like he, he he he
0: was lying in the state in city hall, and you could see there's an actual picture in yeah. the city hall no i i've read i've of...
2: and and thank you al i've read some books um that mentioned that very scene and that was something that stayed with Roosevelt but it was the unroute to Illinois that kind of that kind of threw me uh but uh but there you have it rich is in north carolina hello rich yeah,
5: hello hey so uh, uh do you think we were capable of fighting to win conflict anymore it doesn't seem like we can with vietnam and yeah, afghanistan yeah. and do you think that uh and if so uh either way do you think that Taiwan is going to become the next Vietnam. We're saying two 200 people there now. Do you think that's just the beginning?
2: Um so uh, one I hope not obviously. Um I have very serious very serious uh, questions about whether America can still win wars. There's two books uh, that I, I really recommend, and you just mentioned Vietnam and Afghanistan. But you could go. I think if you look at our record uh, post World War II, I think really we are uh, um, we're maybe two ten and two uh, in terms of wars one lost and fought to a, a draw. There's two books. Is uh, one is by Harlan. Ullman, and it's called um, uh, I'll, I'll get you the name of the book. I'm going to look it up. But it's called um, Anatomy of Failure. Uh, Why America loses every war it starts. And then there's another book uh, that came out about nine years ago, and I actually tried to get the author on this week, but I couldn't get in touch with him, by General Daniel Bulger, saying that um, uh, it's called Why We Lost, essentially about how we lost in Iraq, and why we lost in Iraq, I think we are totally unprepared and I think uh, the fact that we are keep overextending our military in a whole bunch of different places that don 't necessarily directly involve American security is not doing anything in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of helping us be win wars. There was an analysis that came out just yesterday. That showed that uh, that if there was a conflict with China over um, the island of Taiwan, that we would lose to China, and th- and so I think that th- this is a U.S. think tank uh, that came out with this analysis that says. Um, no, actually, I'll find you the citation. I just read it before. So, um, but uh, it was, I think it's, uh, I think, I hope it's not another Vietnam, but I hope we don't continue just sending troops.
5: Well, we got Ukraine and now we have Taiwan. I just don't know how we can do this. It's just, yeah, we, neither we, do
2: I. We, it's unsustainable. And, and thank you, Rich. I'll be honest with you. I would rather not vote for um, Donald Trump uh, next year. And I voted for him enthusiastically in 2016 and and somewhat enthusiastically in 2020. But I I would rather not vote for him. But if I do vote for him, it would be pretty much because of that issue, because um, Trump gets it right. He gets that we cannot continue to get involved in these never ending wars that uh, that don't do anything Uh, In terms of American security, he gets it. I'm not convinced that anyone else on the national political scene, except maybe Tulsi Gabbard, gets it. So um, so it's a good question. But I I can't find that citation. You know, this is the problem with reading so many articles. I didn't pull that one aside. I'll find it uh, a little later. All right. uh, Do we have a winner, Matt Blaze? Kevin in New Jersey, back in time political figure kevin in new jersey call back and we'll get we'll get you a prize uh those of you that are holding we'll try and get to you for the rest of you keep asking questions
1: this is the other side of midnight with frank morano they're running a strange program y'all now here's frank morano
2: Uh, far too big for me to deliver it myself. Let me get a little help from uh, Chevy Chase in doing so. Our top story tonight,
1: Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. Uh, once
2: again, Donald Trump is still not indicted. And yet, <laughs> anywhere you go, there is breathless coverage of nothing happening. I am looking at this and I just have to wonder. Does anybody else scream at their television and say, "How are you filling 24 hours of a news cycle with this?" This is crazy. How about rather than breathlessly saying, "Is Trump going to be indicted? Is he not going to be indicted? Is he uh, you know, is, is are they going to drop the charges?" Why not instead just Wait and see what happens, and then when something happens, you can report on it, you can comment on it, whatever the case may be. I find this all just laughable. So I am going to bring this up briefly with um, Mark Halperin next hour, namely from the uh, for the from the political implications of it. But uh, I have no desire to spend uh, any any substantial time. Talking about this at all. I think it is just silly. The amount of attention that the media has done this. And the reason they're doing this is because the people both on the left, whether you're watching networks like MSNBC or and people on the right who watch Fox, the people are responding. They're responding. They would not keep doing it unless they were getting great ratings doing this wall to wall coverage of. Um, No indictment or the 21st century version of our top story tonight. Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. So uh, I'd like to focus on some other matters. Uh, Those of you that are on hold, I'll try and get to you. Uh, If you want to comment on anything that we've covered, you can do so. Eight hundred eight, four, eight, nine, two, two, two. A couple of a couple of interesting things from a health perspective that I would like to uh, touch upon quickly. Because we have Mark Halperin joining us next hour, we have denunciations joining us, we have denunciations next hour, and we have, uh, we have a, bunch of other, a bunch of other fun things to get to. In our final hour, Marlena Schiavo is going to be here, and uh, I am very eager to get her take on a bunch of things that are happening. She's always spirited, she's always fun, she's always uh, very quick-witted, and she's always really game for talking about anything ranging from parenting to AI and uh, to TikTok. So I have a lot of questions about all of those. Hey, um, there is an obesity problem, not just in the United States, but in the whole world, quite frankly. And people have talked about this and they're right. And it's only at the moment, only getting worse. So how bad is it? Well, Uh, Some data came out recently. Half of the world will be obese or overweight by 2035. That's 12 years from now. That's according to a new report by the World Obesity Foundation. Now, I always want to – I always like to caution everybody that whenever you have a foundation with a word in its title that's something other than foundation – That foundation has a vested interest in painting the worst-case scenario for um, people getting that disease or suffering that ailment because that's how they raise money. So take that with a grain of salt if you want. But the World Obesity Foundation – excuse me, the World Obesity Federation predicted that 4 billion people will be affected with the greatest growth in countries in Africa and Asia – this is a dramatic change. Until 2016, there were more underweight people in the world than obese ones. So we've gone from a situation where in 12 years, we instead of having to about uh, worry about starving people all over the world, what we're going to have to worry about is obese people all over the world. The increased availability of food, which was done in part to reduce the amount of starving people around the world, means that fewer people go hungry. That's a good thing. The flip side is that more are overweight. So whether these predictions for 2035 will be accurate is unclear. But there is some other big news on the obesity front. We've talked about this before. I described how I knew someone that was taking a monthly injection of either Ozampic, which is a diabetes drug, or its sort of sister drug, which is tailor-made for obesity called WeGovi. And they are getting more and more prevalent. And what we heard when we did this segment initially is a lot of people who suffer from diabetes called in and said... Because all these people are taking Ozempic to lose weight, I can't get Ozempic for my diabetes. There was a supply problem. Well, the romance of American pharmaceuticals continues because the weight loss injection craze is just getting started. Drug meets population. Population meets drug. Drug gets scarce and expensive. Population pursues drug across the border. Big Pharma steps in and assures everyone that their lives will live happily ever after. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's exactly what's happening in the battle against obesity. The current public, um, well, the the debate over diabetic drugs like Ozempic and obesity drugs like Wegovi and another one that I had never heard of called Munjaro. These are appetite suppressants that have been touted on social media as miracle weight loss drugs. It's speculated that um, Mindy Kaling from The Office and the Mindy Project, that she used this. Uh, Elon Musk has admitted to using it. Curtis claims that Ron DeSantis uses it. I don't know if he's basing that on anything or if he's just making it up. But this has gotten a lot of attention on social media. Hashtag Ozampic. Tagged TikTok videos have amassed 600 million plus views. 600 million plus views. Are the drugs safe and effective? I have no idea. But Wegovy, W-E-G-O-V-Y, is currently the only one approved by the FDA for weight management. Now, there was a big supply problem. My mother's significant other, who's diabetic, who doesn't take these drugs, but he said, you know, he was hearing it from the diabetes community that they were really concerned that diabetics couldn't get the medicine they needed because all these obese people were using it instead. Supply is now aligned with demand, at least better aligned. The availability of the drugs from makers like Novo Nordisk which makes Ozampic and Wegovi, and Eli Lilly, which makes Mongero, has recently increased after lengthy shortages. And without hard-to-get insurance approval, a monthly supply of these drugs hovers around $1,000 in the U.S. And high costs and waning supply led to a recent run on cheaper Canadian and Mexican pharmacies because Canada has basically a version of uh, socialized medicine. So people that wanted the drug to lose weight, but they didn't want to pay $1,000, they would go up to Canada, buy the drug, get it there, and then just come back to the United States. In British Columbia, 9% of prescription fills for Ozempic were for Americans in 2022. Think about that. A lot of people do that, go up to Canada, buy their drugs. When Bernie Sanders was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, what he would do, because Vermont is relatively close to Canada, he would load up a bus filled with seniors and people that needed drugs but couldn't afford them in his city. And they would drive the bus up to Canada for everybody to buy their drugs super cheap and drive it back down to Burlington, Vermont. Um, So. In British Columbia, 9% of the prescription fills for Ozampic are for Americans, 22 times higher than the average rate across all other drugs. So we know what's going on here. Well, the market is about to get flooded. Analysts project that the fervor is going to continue. NBC News reporting that annual sales for this class of drugs are expected to set records far surpassing arthritis treatment Humira's Alzheimer, which was $20.7 billion in the year 2021. So to prepare for anticipated demand, Novo Nordisk has invested $2.58 billion in expanding production capacity for their diabetes drug unit. And Eli Lilly's tab for similar expansion is up to one point seven billion. dollars. Eli Lilly's cheery outlook is best told through its 2022 backpack. Its CEO got an eye popping $48.9 million in shares on top of his core $21.4 million base pay. So he is doing just fine and the reason he got such a bonus was because of the development of this obesity drug and because they're expanding the capacity for it. So the bottom line is the world has an obesity problem. Additionally, the drug companies, as long as they can make a ton of money on this, which seems like they can, especially now that more and more of these are being covered by insurance, the drug companies are going to expand production as much as necessary to meet this demand. And I wonder what this portends to the fu- for the future. Will this mean, A, that this global obesity crisis that the World Obesity Federation is predicting won't happen because of these obesity drugs, 800 Or, B, are we going to see a situation where obesity becomes essentially just a poor people's disease? I mean, to some extent it is already, but it's not only for poor people. But are we going to see obesity become something that only affects you if you don't have health insurance and you don't have the ability to buy these drugs? Because for everybody else, assuming that the, the what what's happening now is the case and that there are no major health side effects and all these people don't die of uh, of uh, you know, bladder cancer in 10 years, and I hope that obviously doesn't happen, assuming that's not the case, there, are we going to see the end of wealthy people or I don't even want to say wealthy people, upper middle class people or people with health insurance who will cover these drugs being obese? Are we going to live basically in... One of those dystopian futures, you know, they always have those dystopian futures where everybody's so handsome and good looking. That was the case with uh, a couple of episodes of The Twilight Zone. That was the case in, uh, I believe, uh, A Brave New World, where you just take a drug and you become beautiful. And essentially, that's kind of where we are today. What do you think this portends for the future? 800-848-9222, Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred forty eight four eight nine two two two. And I'd also be curious to know if you're someone that takes these drugs not for diabetes, Wegovy, Ozempic, and Manjuro, but for specifically for weight management and weight control. I have uh, I know someone that uh, is about to have his uh, stomach stapled. He's severely obese and he recognizes that he's got to do something about this. He's, I would say he's over a hundred pounds overweight. And this is somebody that used to be very svelte and in in, in, very in shape, an athlete and a nice looking man. And now he finds himself paralyzed by his severe obesity and uh, someone else that I was I was with this person and someone else recently, and they said to him, because they were reluctant to see him get his stomach stable, they said, why don't you try w- one of these drugs that Frank mentioned, Wegovy or Ozampic? And his, this person said, well, I, I think I've looked at that. I think that's only good for 40 to 50 pounds, and I really need to lose at least 100 pounds. So uh, I'm curious if anyone has looked at these drugs for weight loss specifically, not for diabetes, and what, the, um, and what your impression of them, are, of them has been as a patient. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Hey, speaking of um, diabetes, I do have to uh, – you know, one of the things I like to do is I subscribe to a bunch of newsletters. And a a lot of these newsletters, um, they have basically a blind spot report. It's from an app called Ground News that tells you the bias of news coverage and what stories people on each side are missing. So I'm in three or four newsletters that offer this. And it's really interesting. You see, many on the left missed a story about blank. Say, uh, the CNN correspondent who was reporting on street crime in San Francisco when someone broke into her car. And then many on the right missed a story about blank. And um, apparently, a lot of people on the right missed a story about California entering a 10-year partnership with a drug maker to produce $30 insulin for residents. I think this is great. I think this is a home run. If you are um, if you are in need of insulin, if you have diabetes, and if you have a tough time affording it, the fact that you can now get it for $30 in California, that's a huge thing. Uh, so I hope this is a trend that continues in other states and with other drug makers as well. 800 848 Also on the health front, I did want to mention this. There is new hope for leukemia patients. I've known people with leukemia. I've known people that have lost children with leukemia, and it's a very, very sad thing. And I, I've met children with leukemia when I've, I've done events with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and it's, uh, it's just it's the saddest thing in the world, which absolutely uh, breaks your heart. Well, some good news. A third of patients with untreatable leukemia saw their cancer vanish with a new experimental treatment. More than half responded, and 18 of the 60 saw total remission. In acute myeloid leukemia, mutated bone marrow cells create cancerous white blood cells. Just 25% of patients survive three years from diagnosis. The new drug is called Rayuminib. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, R-E-Y-U-M-E-N-I-B, and it targets the most common mutation behind acute myeloid leukemia. And it reprograms bone marrow, bone marrow cells, to behave normally. Not all leukemia patients have this mutation, hence the imperfect response rate. But the trial, while small, has nevertheless produced extraordinary results. One patient told one media outlet, I felt like death was imminent and I was just 21 years old. That person has now made a full recovery. So hopefully this is a major breakthrough in terms of where we're headed with leukemia drugs going forward. 800-848-9222. Robert in Suffolk, I know you've been holding a while, so uh, I figured we owe it to you to be heard. Hello, Robert. All right, Robert's got something else to do. Larry in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry.
0: Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, can I ask you the question I wanted to ask you? Go ahead, be my guest, yeah. I wanted to know, Do Amer- are American housewives considered a swing voting block? And if they are, can you give me an example of a talk radio host that could steer them in the direction of the republic- voting Republican.
2: That's a good question. I-, I don't know if they're considered a swing voting block. I will ask Mark Halpern that, who's much better versed on-, on this when he joins me in an hour. Um can I name a radio talk show host who has some sway with uh with with um what would you what did you say, uh, American housewives? Amer-
0: yes, or, or it's not a particular person, a type of radio talk host.
2: Um I would think that it's more sort of an FM-style DJ who's a little less likely to focus on politics. Like Maybe someone like Scott Shannon when he was doing his morning show. I think that's somebody that maybe would have some influence in some people. See, I think one of the things – and thanks for the call, Larry. I think one of the things that people forget about Donald Trump is that he – had such a broad appeal beyond politics, and he had such name recognition, and still does beyond politics. People knew him from making headlines for all those years. They knew him from having gambled at the Trump Taj Mahal and the and the Trump Plaza. They knew him from his uh, guest appearance at Home Alone 2. They knew him from The Apprentice. They knew him from his best-selling books. He had an appeal beyond politics. So I think you need someone that doesn't necessarily speak to a political echo chamber. Uh, maybe someone like Howard Stern. Now, I don't know that Howard Stern's target demo is necessarily – Um, American Housewives, he, I think, has more of a male-dominated audience, but not exclusively. But he's someone that people listen to primarily for entertainment, not for political punditry. If someone like that were to make a a right turn, for instance, I think that would have some sway. Rich is in Manhattan. Hello,
5: Rich. Hello, Frank. How are you?
2: I'm hanging in there. Thanks.
5: Good. Um, I am the former director of the weight loss program at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and still uh, the program was closed, the hospital closed the program, but we're still running the program um, uh, uh, through Zoom online. Um, And we have a lot of experience with the medications. And for the first time in my career of 40 years, these medications are much safer, and more effective than anything we've had before so um, you know Munjaro you mentioned um, is the newest and it is um, it is for um, uh, diabetes and there is a shortage a short supply but the weight loss is tremendous. Munjaro for instance um, People lost 23% of their body weight after 72 weeks, and that's the most any of these medications. So Zempic, um, Wagovi, which are the same, as you mentioned, Um, you know, the the weight loss um, medications are simply higher doses then so wegovy and ozempic are known as semaglutide that's the genetic. right semaglutide right? right okay semaglutide right so um <clears throat> um so ozempic is uh, is for diabetes it's off label um th- they made wegovy just a stronger dose it's the same chemical um And works just as effectively. These medications are called GLP-1 agonists. And what that simply means is that it controls insulin a little bit. It also slows down gastric emptying, which means that the food stays in your gut longer so that you feel more full because the food stays there longer. That's one of the main effects some of them work in the brain as well in the reward pathways and appetite regulation centers. Um, There is also um, another GLP-1 called Saxenda, which is um, loraglutide, and that was uh, the same as Victoza, which is for diabetes. So it went from Victoza approved by the fda right to so sex R- rich given and these things work like they're i mean honestly frank i i we we have not seen anything no like i it.
2: i know i've been reading that everyone is saying this is a game changer a real breakthrough yeah. so that being said rich are we looking at basically the end of obesity at least for people that can afford these drugs
5: well, I can tell you that uh, we have observed a great deal of weight loss. You, you know, you, you mentioned somebody who had 100 pounds to lose. We have patients who have lost 100 really? pounds wow. taking Munjaro. Um, so, uh, yes, you could say it's the end of obesity for them. It's true. And, you know, not only that, you know, these are injections, these medications, and you inject them only once a week. Saxenda you do every day, but the other ones, Munjara, it's once a week. So we're talking about a chronic disease of obesity. And so we need chronic treatment, and there's no shame in having to take a medication once a week for the rest of your life if you have to. We don't really know yet because they haven't been out long enough to have longitudinal data to say you've got to take it forever. But when people stop right now, at least we've observed that they start to regain some of their weight, so they go back on it. But, you know... Like, if you have high blood pressure, you take medicine every single day. If you have, um, right. cholesterol, uh, you know, depression, things, cholesterol, yeah. any of that, right. So, you know, there, there seems to be a bias against the weight loss medications in the terms of, oh, you got to take a weight loss. you got to take up medications to control your weight. Hey, well, so, Rich, it's a chronic who, disease, who, and it comes from a bias against, obesity. Right? Who
2: would you recommend these treatments for? If someone is um, 30, 40 pounds overweight and they've sort of hit a plateau in terms of weight loss, um, I mean, I think I'm easy, easily 20 or 30 pounds overweight, but I don't think I'm at the point where I would take one of these drugs necessarily. Who would you recommend these, uh, these drugs for?
5: Well, technically... It's based on something called body Body mass mass index, BMI, right? So 27 with comorbidities like diabetes or high blood pressure or BMI over 30. Um, We're recommending them for virtually anybody who wants to take them who has that kind of weight to lose. Um, We shouldn't discriminate. Um, uh, You know, if you have 40 pounds to lose, Why not take this medication and help you get the 40 pounds off?
2: The one thing Um, that I would ask, uh, Rich, is do we create a situation where people feel like they no longer need to make healthier choices?
5: Uh, That's a great question. So two things. First, one thing you said, which is interesting, which is the plateau. So... I believe that that's where we really want to use these medications. So, because we have observed over the past 20 years, every group we've ever run, they reach a plateau at 26 weeks. We have a 52 week program. They plateau at 26 weeks. It's a biological phenomenon that happens, there are plenty of explanations boring to get into but it happens so why not take the medication then uh, during the plateau Mm. that's that's one thing that is a really good indication for t- for taking it, and I'm sorry. What was your other question? No,
2: basically, who should take this drug? Who would you and, recommend it for? If you I can mean, afford it, who you, should take
5: and, it? Uh, anybody who has that kind of weight to lose, and you know, who fits the criteria: BMI of 27 with comorbidities, or um, BMI over 30. All, right. All I, right. I mean, it's 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 indicated. The FDA has approved it for use like that, um, so you can't argue with it that way. There's nothing. So, I mean, somebody somebody has 10 pounds to lose, I don't think they should be necessarily taking a medication like that. They don't really... Uh, but but necessarily... again... Oh, oh, I know what I wanted to say. What we've also observed is that the people who are taking the medication who live that healthy lifestyle... So, in other words, you take this medicine and now you think you can eat whatever you want and it's magic. No, that's not true. The people who seem to be losing the most weight are the people who are taking the medication and making the lifestyle changes Mm -hmm. that are necessary. So exercising more, um, uh, you know, watching calorie intake, that sort of thing. This is clearly happening. I've seen it because I'm working with it, and I see it all the time. The people who are making those lifestyle changes, and taking medicine, are losing more weight than the other people. Rich,
2: uh, Rich, thank you. I want to get to some other folks. And uh, great call. uh, Very informative. Keep us on our toes. uh, Call in again. Uh, Those of you that are holding, uh, we'll get to you in a bit. If you want to comment on this or anything else we've covered, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. Next hour, we're going to talk with Mark Halperin. And then uh, in our final hour, we'll talk with the lovely and talented Marlena Schiavo. Very much looking forward to both conversations. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank
2: The great Shaka Khan, who celebrated her birthday yesterday, seventy years old. Um, happy birthday to Shaka Khan! All right, um, hey, I wanted to uh, apologize because a bunch of you wrote to me yesterday indicating that our podcast was not up on time. Uh, that was uh, an internal issue having to do with uh, one of the software that we use to um, to get the podcast up. It was uh, malfunctioning, so uh, we had to have our chief of operations, Doug, step in and uh, and upload it. Not just for our show, but I think for all the shows. And uh, it was just got uploaded a couple hours later than usual. So I'm sorry about that. But if you didn't get to hear yesterday's show, please make sure you go back and listen to that podcast. After you're done listening to, uh, to this show. I will say, though, that if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to our podcast, The Other Side of Midnight. Search it on any podcast app. That's the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano. And if you don't want to hear the whole show and you just want to hear the commendations, the denunciations, the AC report, the interviews, then you can also search for the uh, the podcast Frank Morano interviews and more. And you can also go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com and find them there hey uh kenneth you are normally uh, you you do a yeoman's job in uh getting these podcasts up and running as best you know are we back to normal on the podcast front today we are not back to normal Oh, we're not back to normal they are still working on internal fixes so people are going to have a late podcast today as well a little late yes well that's a bummer it is it is do we have any idea of the timetable for when this will be repaired I whenever the person that's running that internal thing for megaphone comes in, I see, I see. All right. Now, one of the complaints that we got yesterday is that because you were not responsible for the uh, you or Alex or I don't know if it's done by committee or if it's done by one or both of you, um, because you guys didn't do the podcast title and description, we got complaints that there wasn't a clever title as there usually is. And that there was a a typo. So, did we submit a suggested title to the folks uploading the podcast? Yes, I did, and I really hope that he gets on that and fixes that because that was not the title that I wanted. Oh well, can you reiterate that to him that we should fi- send it to make it something more clever? I already have. You already have. Yes, sir. T- tremendous. All right, Kenneth. Kenneth is uh, Johnny on the spot. As one frequent podcast listener wrote me. Um, and actually, a number of people, I was surprised, complained about the lack of a clever title in yesterday's podcast. And then now we know, uh, at least Kenneth is claiming, that it had nothing to do with him. Uh, one frequent podcast listener wrote me, Kenneth is the pre-war Morgan craftsman of podcasts. He does such a good job putting them together that it is a shame to see a scratch in its paint from a typo.
1: Yeah,
3: Kenny finally found something he's really good at.
2: And uh, Morgan cars have been handmade for more than a century, uh, this person adds, if you were curious about the illusion. So we're working on that. We're working on that for you. All right. Now, I, you know, after the show was over today, it's really kind of supposed to be my day off. But what ends up happening is because everyone knows it's my day off, everyone schedules things for me. And I I have to get back home because my wife uh, does these television hits. She's now added a third television hit. I wish she would post them on social media or let me share them, but she doesn't doesn't want me to do that, and she doesn't want to do it. But I have one, two, three, four, five meetings that I have scheduled today after the show, after the show, five meetings. Now, one is a podcast recording for The Racket Report, which is also a good podcast. But here's my problem. Is all of these meetings, the time, the location, is dependent on knowing whether or not we are supposedly going to have our weekly post-show meeting. Uh, we are supposed to have it right after the show, every Friday morning. Go through the ratings. Go through the streaming numbers. Go through any news that the, that the network has for us. Go through any new affiliates that are on the horizon. Uh, go through any complaints anybody has, answer any questions. When these meetings take place, they are very effective, particularly when they're right after the show. Last week, I waited around an hour and 15 minutes. Now, I mean, I'm not waiting around doing nothing. I'm getting work done for the show and and just catching up on my mountain of emails and a bunch of other non-show related things. So, I mean, I'm not just sitting around. Uh, But I would much rather either be home to help my wife look after our son while she's doing these TV hits or sleeping. Now, last week, I waited around. No meeting took place. The week before, same situation. I waited around an hour. No meeting took place. So I asked Matt Blaze before the show, I asked, "Do we have a meeting after the show?" And what was your response, Matt? That I put out the
1: call and I'm not heard back yet, but I always assume that there is a meeting unless we hear that there's not one. Yeah. So I That's ask, what that's what I go about.
2: I asked Alex Barnard because he has some better internal sources than what you have. And uh I asked him, is there a meeting? Alex says, "I, I say basically the same thing you said. I'm going to do what I did last week. We're going to tape the podcast, The Darker Side of Midnight, which is a, a very popular podcast. It's growing in numbers. If you haven't checked that out yet, it's basically like a post-show um, podcast for our show. So what a lot of people do is they listen to our show, either live or on the podcast, and then they'll listen to the podcast of that. Uh, you could just search The Darker Side of Midnight on any podcast app or go to Red Apple." Podcastnetwork.com. So, what he said is they're going to tape the podcast and then he's going to decide what to do. But the problem is, though, with that, right, is all of these other meetings today are dependent on knowing when I'm leaving here, right? Because it's like a, a relay race. If I leave here at, you know, five o'clock Eastern, then I can do some of these meetings early in the morning. But if I'm leaving here at 7 o'clock Eastern, then everything else gets backed up. So now, essentially, everybody in my social circle, um, I don't want to mention these people, but you got Larry, you got Nick, you got other people, uh, 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 Scott. All of these people are waiting on the status of this meeting. So I usually wait an hour. I am giving it 25 minutes today, and then I'm leaving. And that's my uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And, uh, and because I emailed the meeting master, our program director, and um, he did not respond to me either. So there's that. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Liz is in Manhattan. Hello,
4: Liz. Okay, my mother was uh, type one diabetic and she lived nine years without any insulin when my grandfather was Secretary of State. And uh, she had to eat uh, rice and vegetables and plain old food and exercise an hour a day to stay alive before before insulin was discovered. And my grandfather made sure They didn't want to put her in the study because it came from Canada, and he said he'd refuse to deal with Canada. And and remind
2: me who your grandfather was, Liz. I think we've had this conversation.
4: Yeah, Charles Evans Hughes. Ah, yes, the
2: the so-called bearded iceberg.
4: But he made sure that she didn't feel sorry for herself. That's another point. And that she had to eat a certain way. And that people have issues, and that's it. That was hers. Well, but
2: based on what Rich is saying and what uh, other people are saying, essentially medical science has come up with a way, and thanks for the call, Liz, for nobody ever to need to be obese if you can afford these drugs. And I, I do wonder if we are heading into Aldous Huxley's A Brave New World. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222 that's uh, 800-848-9222 you know in terms of these meetings you know what i've seen some people do and my wife recommended this to me recently and um i i may have to do something like this there's some people because uh, there's always people trying to pin me down for for phone calls meetings whatever dinners lunches there's some people that have a schedule and they have their open areas of the schedule available, and you can kind of claim one and book that block of time for a meeting, I may do that. Um, I may do that, make it so that, oh, if you want to book a meeting with me, go to this website or that app and just say, all right, you know, I'm claiming 1 o'clock on Friday. But then, you know, I have such an odd sleep schedule. My windows are pretty narrow. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll figure this out. All uh, right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert.
1: Hi, Frank. Hi.
6: Hello.
2: Robert! All right, we're done Hello. with Robert. Done with Robert. Done with Robert. All right. Um, oh, this is the other thing that I wanted to mention It's no secret that this country has a uh, drug problem, the United States, specifically a problem with fentanyl. And it's very interesting what uh, the United States is blaming Mexico because so much of this fentanyl is coming from Mexico. And I don't want to get into a whole discussion about this, but the fact of the matter is, There are 70,000 overdose deaths per year in the United States. That's more people than died in the entire Vietnam War. Well, a week ago, the president of Mexico, who I happen to believe is very corrupt, and I believe is in the pocket of a lot of these Mexican drug cartels. But um, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who they call AMLO, A-M-L-O, he fired back at the United States. He told a morning news briefing that the problem with drugs in the United States is caused by, of all things, a lack of hugs. I'm not joking. A lack of hugs, of embraces. This is what he said. This is a quote. There's a lot of disintegration of families. There's a lot of individualism. There is a lack of love, of brotherhood, of hugs and embraces. That is why they, U.S. officials, should be dedicating funds to address the causes. Uh, Lopez Obrador has repeatedly said that Mexico's close-knit family values are what have saved it from the wave of fentanyl overdoses. It is interesting. There's all this fentanyl in Mexico, and yet the Mexicans are not dying of drug overdoses. It's all coming to the United States, where there's a very ample market for these drugs. So experts say that the Mexican cartels are making so much money now from the U.S. market that they see no need to sell fentanyl in their home market. I believe that. Cartels frequently sell methamphetamines in Mexico where the drug is more popular because it purportedly helps people work harder. So uh, the president of Mexico, who is, you know, you only get to serve one term in Mexico. and I think this is his last year. Lopez Obrador has been stung by calls in the United States to designate Mexican drug gangs as terrorist organizations. Some Republicans have said they favor using the military to crack down on these Mexican cartels. And uh, Lopez Obrador called anti-drug policies in the U.S. a failure and proposed a ban in both countries on using fentanyl in Mexican Mex- excuse me in medicine, even though little of the drug crosses from hospitals to the illegal markets. To me, uh, this underscores that he really is in the pocket of the drug cartels. However, I wonder if he has a little bit of a point. The problem with fentanyl is not medical use of fentanyl, okay? Even though I happen to believe that this fellow is in league with some of these drug cartels, does he have a point that the lack of family in the United States, the lack of family values, the lack of hugs, as the Mexican leader says, The disintegration of families leads to more drug use. Irrespective of what you think about the Mexican president, what you think about um, the border, what you think about fentanyl, does his main point, the lack of family values leading to an uptick in drugs, does it have some merit? I've I've heard crazier things. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. 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 It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Sport around It's catching on In every city Town You can do the tricks The surfers do Just try a wazimoto Or the coffin too Why don't you Wipe out when you first Try to shoot the curb
2: And
1: taking gas in a bush Takes a lot of nerve All Those hopscotch, podads And pedestrians to the old bucket Shark, kayak, bunk And now escape right on through Why don't you in the
2: Jan and Dean Sidewalk Surfing. If you are um, curious about what kind of uh, music we play on this program, uh, just join our Facebook group. uh, That's Murano Radio Fans and Haters. You know what's funny about this this Facebook group is there's a lot of people in it. There's thousands, but there's under 100 that comment. And I would say 40 to 50 percent of the people that comment or have a complaint about something. And that's fine. I certainly don't mind as long as you're listening, complain about all you want. That's that's certainly fine with me. God bless you. And sometimes uh, the criticism is uh, is merited, right? But I would love to hear the silent majority. I would love to hear more from the people that are in this Facebook group, but choose not to comment. And heaven forbid you have something nice to say. That certainly wouldn't be the the worst thing in in the world either. Um, are you familiar with President's Park? This is really interesting. Williamsburg, Virginia. President's Park is a uh, it was a ten acre sculpture park and associated indoor museum, formerly located in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was really cool. Essentially, it's the broken remains of 42 giant presidential busts that once comprised the short-lived President's Park outside of Colonial Williamsburg. Well, I have to be honest, and I, shame on me, I did not even know that this was a thing. I didn't even, not even know this existed. I've never even been to Mount Rushmore. I'd like to make the trip there one of these days, but... Um, This is going to reopen to the public. This is really neat. So for more than a decade, these decaying 10-foot tall sculptures of every president from George Washington to George W. Bush have been an unofficial tourist attraction for their surprising presence in the 600-acre concrete recycling plant where they were moved after the park closed. James City County businessman, Howard Hankins, has been in possession of these busts since 2012 when he salvaged them after he was contracted to destroy them. Well, thank God he didn't. These are beautiful, even though they're decaying to some extent. These are beautiful busts. Now he's opening a new attraction from these massive sculptures. The newly dubbed. The Ruins at Hankins Folly will launch new tours and an immersive experience on Memorial Day weekend. The last of the informal pop-up tours under the old no-name umbrella, uh, those are going to be available through April 8th. But in the coming years, the Ruins owners say they'll begin adding a winery, a brewery, an amphitheater, horse trails, and other amenities those plans have not yet been filed with James City County yet, but the owners have been in touch about zoning, and um, I think this is very exciting. The bus will be displayed in their current state of partial disrepair. So it's it's really weird. You see Woodrow Wilson almost look like he has leprosy. Um, Lyndon Johnson almost looks like he has a G- Gorbachev-style birthmark on his forehead. Uh, it's really it's really interesting. Um, George Bush looks like he has leprosy. If you're interested in this, uh, I'm going to link to this article about this on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. That's facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Next hour, we have denunciations and Mark Halperin still to come. The lovely and talented Marlena Schiavo. Your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Marano. Well, you waited a whole week for this moment, haven't you? Uh, by the way, coming up in just about 20 minutes, we're going to talk with the man who is the almanac of American politics, Mark Halperin. His wide world of politics, or wide world of news, newsletter, is a must-read if you want to be informed as any of the Beltway insiders. And... Uh, He's right on the money, and he's just interesting. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, talking with him coming up. All right. Um, you waited a whole week for this to find out who deserves the opposite of a pat on the back, who deserves a thumbs down, maybe even two thumbs down. That's right. It is now time for the often imitated, never quite duplicated, recently Hall of Fame inducted.
1: The other side of midnight presents
2: denunciation. That's right. I must denounce the nation of Uganda. Uganda. I like saying Uganda instead of Uganda. I know it's Uganda, but I've decided I like Uganda. I don't know where I got that from. I might have gotten that from Tom from the Bronx, but I'm going with it. Even more so after this. You know why? Because You remember how George H.W. Bush used to call Saddam Hussein Saddam Hussein? Now, he knew his name was pronounced Saddam. But it was his way of sort of getting in a little dig at Saddam Hussein. You call him Saddam. Um, Uganda has just passed... One of the most sweeping anti-gay laws in the entire world. From now on, if you are gay in the country of Uganda, you will go to prison. Also, so if you inc- if you commit a same-sex act, have sex, you're a woman, you have sex with another woman, you're a man, you have sex with another another man, you're going to jail. If you identify. As LGBTQ plus or gay, you're going to jail. Now, this is absurd. There's no reason to discriminate against anybody like this, especially gay people. This is blatant discrimination, and the country of Uganda ought to be ashamed of itself. Uganda, I do denounce you. As uh, Chelsea Handler once said, Uganda be kidding me. This is very strange. Uh, very strange. I must denounce John Garza and Early Nemo. These two escaped from jail using a toothbrush, and then were captured at an IHOP. These guys managed to crawl and climb their way out of a Virginia jail on Monday. But their escape was cut short when police arrested them at a nearby IHOP the next morning. Now, if you're actually going to... I'm I'm denouncing these guys not just for breaking out of jail, but for just blatant stupidity. If you're going to break out of jail by the next morning, wouldn't you think you'd do a total Andy Dufresne, be halfway across the country by the next morning? Especially this two of you. I mean, I recognize with no money and... uh no transportation maybe it's difficult to make tracks in a hurry but i would think you could do better than being found at the first i-hop that you see so the two had been held at newport news jail annex a medium security facility for months facing a slew of different charges and they'd been in custody since december on uh, garza had been in custody since december on charges including contempt of court probation violations, and failure to appear. Nemo had been in custody since October on charges including credit card fraud. So these aren't criminal masterminds, as you could tell. Uh, So police had urged the public to be on the lookout for the men, and they credit bystanders with spotting them at the Breakfast franchise some 10 miles away. I'm just dumbfounded by this. Authorities say the men escaped on Monday afternoon though their absence was first noticed during a routine headcount around 7.15 at night. They weren't in their cell or anywhere near the facility. As it turned out, the investigation determined that the men tunneled through a cell wall leading to the exterior and proceeded to scale the security wall. The men escaped by making a hole in one of the jail's walls and scaling that exterior wall. The sheriff's office said the men exploited an unspecified construction design weakness with the help of primitive made tools constructed from a toothbrush and a metal object. My goodness. All right. Um, Well, John Garza and uh, early Nemo, I do denounce you. Well, I must denounce... These police officers in Torrance, California. The police in this city, not all the police, but quite a few, they decided to paint a swastika on the car of Kylie Swain. J- Kylie Swain's Hyundai looked a lot different when he went to retrieve it from a tow pound in January of 2020. The car, which had been towed two days earlier when Torrance officers arrested Swain on suspicion of mail theft, was trashed on the inside. The seats were covered with cereal and protein powder, and the front seat was a white smiley face drawn with spray paint. On the rear seat, someone had spray painted a swastika. Torrance police officers allegedly told Swain, who is part Jewish, that the tow yard accepted responsibility for the vandalism. But Swain's lawsuit, which he filed in January of 2022, alleged that the department had, in fact, concealed that the two officers who'd arrested Swain, Cody Weldon and Christopher Tomsick, were the vandals who had painted the hateful symbol on the car. So now the city has settled this lawsuit For $750,000. Imagine you're a taxpayer in this city. And because these two cops, Cody Weldon and Christopher Tomzik, can't control themselves and can't resist the overwhelming urge to draw a swastika on someone's car, you're now out $750,000 in taxpayer money. I mean, what a joke. So for these two officers... I do denounce you. I must also denounce the state of Hawaii. It feels good to denounce Hawaii, I must say, because Hawaii is so often first in everything. First in happiest state. First in state with the most sunshine. First in this. First in that. Well, I found it. I finally found it. The state that Hawaii is, the the area that Hawaii is worst in. Hawaii is the worst state in the entire country, NDC, for doctors. That's right. Amidst the um amidst Hawaii's ongoing physician shortage, a new analysis from Wallet Hub ranked Hawaii as the absolute worst state for doctors. They evaluated several factors across two key dimensions. Um uh, Opportunity and competition and medical environment, and when it came to opportunity and competition, Hawaii ranked dead last. Hawaii was also last for average annual wage for physician. State ranked best for doctors. If you're curious, Montana, Montana, the land of uh, John Tester and Steve Bullock. I must denounce Michael Hugo. Uh, this man is really just disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. He is a local uh, Democratic Party official in Massachusetts, the chairman of the Framingham Democratic Committee, Michael Hugo. Basically, he complained of school budget costs. For, I can't even say this, but I will, so that the denunciation makes sense. He complained of school budget costs for disabled children who weren't aborted. I mean, he made these remarks not in private, not drunk out on the town somewhere. He made them during a city council meeting when discussing a proclamation about access to abortion and crisis pregnancy centers. He said crisis pregnancy centers could misdiagnose a defect in a baby in the womb, leading to them being born and becoming a strain on a school budget. You know, I could understand many reasons why um, someone may decide to have an abortion. But to view... A disabled child as a strain on a school budget, to me, I find this completely reprehensible. And, uh, you know, he's apologized for these remarks, but that still doesn't give him a pass on being denounced. Michael Hugo, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Christina Caramo, the uh, – and you know, we're equal opportunity on this show. We do Republicans and Democrats – the chair of the Michigan Republican Party. the And unlike the person I just mentioned, she is not backing off these comments. She has uh, refused to withdraw her comparison of proposed gun control laws – To the treatment of Jewish people in Nazi Germany, despite a massive outcry across the political spectrum. On Wednesday, she tweeted a photo of rings in a box. The text across the image read Before they collected all these wedding rings, they collected all the guns. Under the image, the Michigan GOP wrote, History has shown us that the first thing a government does when it wants total control over its people is to disarm them. Um, this is totally inappropriate and totally in a, a, totally inexcusable and should absolutely be taken down. Stop anti-Semitism, which is a nonprofit group, said this is horrific. Do not utilize the trauma of those murdered in the Holocaust. ...to push a political issue. I completely agree. The Holocaust was so unique in human history... ...as being... ...as as happening. I I think it's got to be maybe the worst thing that's ever happened in history. That to invoke that... ...because you don't agree with a proposed gun control law... ...I mean, it's really... I find it totally shameful. So, Christina Caramo, I do denounce you. James and Jennifer Crumbly, I am denouncing them as well because... Well, actually, I'll get to them. First, I want to denounce um, the group, a taxpayer-funded legal aid group called the Bronx Defenders. Um, they had to fork over a hundred seventy thousand dollars and make an a formal apology to a former staffer, Debbie Jonas, who happens to be Jewish, and she also has dual citizenship in Israel and the United States, and uh, she's served in the. Uh, she has children that have served in Israel's defense forces. So she worked for this group, this legal aid group, the Bronx Defenders. And she was called by her co-workers a racist, uh, a colonizer, and a Karen. And she was told that she was worse than the dirt under your feet and that her children were murderers. She was cursed at and badgered until she could no longer stand the hostility. Its executive director, Justine Alderman, issued a heartfelt apology, and the firm has agreed to provide anti-Semitism training to all employees provided by the Brandeis Center for Human Rights under law. Bronx defenders, I do denounce you. I also want to denounce James and Jennifer Crumbly. Their, their, their son and I'm sure this is very sad to deal with, their son became a mass shooter, and he texted them, he texted his mother, I love you, 10 minutes before the attack. Now, I'm sure that's very traumatic, to have a a child that's um, a mass murderer. Well, the Michigan Court of Appeals has ordered that the shooter's parents are going to stand trial for the death of these four students. And I think that is very, I think that's the right decision because this young man had very easy access to their guns. And I have to tell you the, the excuse from these parents is laughable. Um, Essentially, their argument was, well, no, he didn't have easy access to them, which, of course, he did because he got them and used them to kill four people. He didn't have easy access to them because they were in a gun safe. Do you know what the combination to the gun safe was? The combination was zero, zero, zero. That was the combination. So somehow this criminal mastermind, this young Mr. Crumbly, was able to figure out it's zero, zero, zero. Took these guns and killed four innocent people. It really just, uh, really shameful uh, and sad. And uh, I think is a wake-up call to every parent that has guns in the house. Make sure you take the proper precautions, please. All right, I want to denounce either the cineplexes in Hong Kong... Or Xi Jinping. Uh, I'll denounce the the cineplexes on the record because they have pulled the schedule opening of the new Winnie the Pooh horror movie, which I can't wait to see. Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, a British slasher film that features Winnie the Pooh terrorizing a group of young university women. It was scheduled to be released in Hong Kong on Thursday, but... They canceled it. Now, they say that it's just Hong Kong cinemas. They've canceled the screening of the horror movie based on Winnie the Pooh. Not really given a reason. This has prompted a whole bunch of speculation that the film was pulled because of comparisons Internet users made between Winnie the Pooh and Xi Jinping. So if Xi Jinping is really responsible for this, then I denounce you. But if this really is the movie theaters making this decision on their own, Then I do denounce you. And lastly, I must denounce James Tolliver Craig, an Aurora dentist. James Tolliver Craig is no brain surgeon. Maybe that's why he's a dentist. He's accused of um, poisoning his wife. And that's terrible. But it's also terrible what he did in advance. Before he purchased both arsenic and cyanide, his Internet search history had him looking up methods of poison. He researched online undetectable poisons. Why would you do that from your own computer? I mean, to me, it just makes absolutely no sense. Don't you think that if your wife dies suddenly, people are going to look at you as a suspect? Don't you think there's a chance they may look at your computer? And yet, somehow, James Tolliver Craig was so eager to kill his wife, it didn't occur to him. Um that's uh, I'm not I'm not sure what it says about the state of dentistry in Aurora Illinois but nothing good. All right, uh, that uh, that concludes this week's edition of Denunciations. I am very excited to talk with Mark Halpern in just a bit. He is the man behind the Wide World of News newsletter. And a a veteran journalist, he's been with ABC, he does stuff with Newsmax, and uh, I've known Mark and uh, been a fan of his work for many years, and uh, I am uh, thrilled that he actually happens to be in the state of Hawaii right now, so it makes it a little bit more possible for us to be able to talk with him about uh, some of the political goings-on. Mark Halperin of the Wide World of News joins us straight
1: ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank with Marano. Frank Marano.
2: Gypsy Kings here on the other side of midnight. This is Frank Morano. There is nobody, and I mean nobody, that knows the national political scene more than Mark Halperin. A veteran journalist, uh, everything he does in print and on broadcast is. Uh, something you really can't miss if you want to be an informed person, the publisher of the Wide World of News newsletter, which is just terrific. I get a a little excited whenever it hits my mailbox because I know I'm about to be smarter than everyone else that is not reading that newsletter. And uh, we are lucky enough to have him in a time zone where it's convenient for him to join us in the wee hours of the morning. Mark, it's great to talk with you again. It's been too long.
3: Frank, great to talk to you. Very honored to be invited on. Thank you. Uh,
2: Mark, uh, the big news here in New York and uh, really around the country by the looks of the five all news channels that I'm watching right now, all of which are covering the same story, is Donald Trump still not indicted by the uh, Manhattan DA's office, but poised to be indicted, grand juries reconvening. Uh, Putting aside the legal aspect of this, What do you see as the political ramifications for this for Donald
5: Trump?
3: Well, look, we're going to have at least probably 96 hours before this thing moves. And so, um, as uh, John McCain used to say, everything's already been said, but not everyone's had a chance to say it. So I'll weigh in uh, the way others have to say, I think in the short term, this will be good politically for Donald Trump. It allows him to. Uh, dominate the stage and talk about the deep state, talk about out-of-control prosecutors, talk about George Soros, and to say that, um, as he has, you know, with more discipline than he sometimes shows, this is, they're coming after me because they're coming after you, meaning his supporters. I think in the longer term, there there are potential downsides for him here. Uh, I don't think he would be convicted before the election, so I don't think that's the issue. But You never know longer term. Short term, I think it helps him.
2: And um, what is the polling, if anything, showing about how the Republican base is reacting to this whole thing and Trump's handling of it specifically?
3: There's not a lot of data, even private data, because, you know, polls are expensive if you do them right. And nobody wants to pull the trigger on a story that everybody keeps anticipating will move to a different uh, place. We don't know what any indictment will actually say. There's a lot of speculation about it. Um, But uh, I've not seen any data that I trust. What I have seen is the reaction of most political figures, uh, not just uh, politicians, but strategists, uh, social media uh, influencers, etc. And this is very reminiscent so far of what we've seen anecdotally of what happened after the federal agents went into Mar-a-Lago, which is a rally around the Trump um, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, dynamic. And uh, I expect if there is polling uh, soon, it will show within the Republican Party more support, not less support for Donald Trump.
2: One of the things that uh, a lot of legal analysts, even including a lot of you know non-partisan, not at least not traditionally partisan legal analysts, um, have said is that of the four Trump criminal investigations that uh, that is this is probably the weakest case. You got the documents case. You got January 6th. You got the Georgia grand jury. What do you think? um, Let's say there is an indictment forthcoming Monday or Tuesday. What do you think this does to the other uh, the other legal cases that Trump is facing? Does that help him by making it all look like a a, a pile on or is it sort of death by a thousand cuts? How do you see it?
3: More likely, I would take door number one. I think if you're the other prosecutors, you can pretend that your work is not influenced by an initial indictment. But in politics, uh, and and to some extent in the law, weak links are weak links for a reason, and they can have a huge impact. This case is the weak link. We don't know exactly what this prosecutor has. We don't know what the other has. But this one's weak for two reasons. First of all, the the the, the underlying facts of the case, as they are known— uh, don't involve high principles. They involve a personal issue for the most part. And most legal analysts, as you said, even some liberal ones, some independent ones think that shouldn't be the first indictment of a former president in American history. The second reason it's weak is because it is it is uh, going to be based on a, a jerry-built legal theory that is unorthodox, not wholly unprecedented depending on how you look at it, but it's just not a standard case. And so I think that this is the week one. I think you'll see Donald Trump try to paint any subsequent indictments, if there are subsequent indictments, with the brush of this week link, it may, mixing my metaphors here. And so I, I think if you're the other prosecutors, you hope that Bragg has second thoughts and doesn't pull the trigger.
2: Um, all right. Now let's talk about the other big behemoth on the GOP side of things. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, with Mark Halperin. Highly recommend uh, that you uh, subscribe to his email newsletter, The Wide World of News. Um, Ron DeSantis – and you can go check that out at markhalperin.substack.com. That's markhalperin.substack.com. Ron DeSantis has had a little bit of a change in strategy. He was sort of ignoring Trump, not really saying anything negative. He started off by taking a couple of uh, of digs at Trump for paying hush money to a porn star. And then he sort of unloaded on Trump in that interview that he did with Piers Morgan, What do you think is behind this uh, DeSantis pivot in strategy?
3: Well, I'll preview the upcoming edition of Wide World News out in a couple hours, uh, the 19 reasons Trump is going after DeSantis. And one one of the 19 is DeSantis is not a declared candidate. He doesn't have a war room. He doesn't have a rapid response operation. And you can see in the public polling and the private polling, DeSantis has been hurt by several weeks. Of Trump and Trump's uh, Trump's team going pretty hard after him, and it, he's he's a smart guy, I think. Uh, what a lot of the Trump people think, which he may well have a glass jaw, as as amazing as his rocket rise launch has been over the last couple of years to position himself as the only real alternative right now to Donald Trump for the nomination, he's still very untested, and I think what you've seen in the last couple of days with the with the Piers Morgan interview with this press conference where he took that little flick at Trump is the beginnings of what I anticipate to be a colossal battle of negative attacks and counterattacks between the two men that uh, is going to test DeSantis's capacity. Because whenever you think of Donald Trump as a leader, as a, as a person, he's a, he's a beast of a presidential candidate. And, and when the people on the left criticize me for saying he's one of the best presidential candidates I've ever seen, I flip it back to them and say, you guys think Trump is a joke. He was a reality star, rowdy TV host uh, and never run for anything. And yet he, he won the White House. So I think by definition, he's an extraordinary candidate. And we're going to see if DeSantis can build on what he's done, as you pointed out in the last couple of days, which is to push back more than he ever has. Although I, I think it's pretty light in terms of the proportion of what he says from Trump
2: the one of the things that you have better sources than than anybody, and one of the things that i've heard as a couple of desantis's negatives is i've heard that as a retail politician he's very lacking he doesn't have much of a, a sense of humor either when talking with small groups or when uh, greeting people on a one-on-one basis, which matters in states like Iowa and New Hampshire. I've also heard that he doesn't really cater to the donor class the way other presidential candidates tend to. Have you heard both of those things?
3: I've heard them both uh, repeatedly uh, over the last many months. They're both true, at least so far. We're going to see... Does he, he may He may decide he never needs to cater to the donors. Maybe he thinks that's not necessary. Maybe he'll raise his money in small-dollar increments in a way that won't require him to uh, care and feed his donors, the big-dollar donors, the fat cats, the bundlers. <clears throat> in terms of a sense of humor, in terms of a retail touch, I, I've watched a lot of video of the guy. I've, I've observed him in person on a few occasions. He, he He doesn't put in the effort, and when he does, he's not particularly good. He did go to a a Staten Island uh, uh, diner uh, recently, Uh, showed the good sense to start uh, working on the the most discerning people in America, the good people of Staten Island. Amen. 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 Didn't get, didn't get that much coverage, but I looked at the video of that, you know, is he, is he Bill Clinton? No. Is he John Kerry? No, he's not even John Kerry. Now maybe he's got it in him, but he's not displayed it. And as you suggested, the voters in those early states, they expect that. He he went to um, uh, uh, Iowa and didn't really do that kind of stuff, worked the rope line a little bit, but not in the way that people expect. He was behind some, some barriers. And so we'll see. But there's reason to be skeptical that he can do that stuff, reason to be skeptical that if he can't do that stuff, he can still be nominated and elected. But we'll see, because, again, his rise has been very unorthodox and very extraordinary.
2: It seems like DeSantis's lane in the presidential race is clear. It seems like Trump's lane is clear. Obviously, he's got the diehard uh, Trump supporters. It seems like DeSantis uh, is the candidate of people that want Trumpism without Trump. Now, there's a lot of other candidates hoping to occupy a third lane, whether it's Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, uh, Tim Scott, you know, Chris Nunu, Glenn Youngkin, potentially. Is there room for a, a third major candidate in this presidential race, or do you see this delving down to just a contest between Trump and DeSantis?
3: Right now, I see a two-person race. But look, DeSantis may have a glass jaw. Trump may face legal jeopardy that, that is so overwhelming that that he can't really run. Both those are possible. And, and, and I think what these other candidates are doing are positioning themselves to pick up the pieces if, if there's pieces to pick up. At the same time, if if they both run strong, DeSantis and Trump, I don't see the capacity to raise money. I don't see the capacity to sign up the top consultants. I don't see the capacity to uh, maybe even get on the debate stage, depending on what kind wow. of rules the RNC sets. So right now, I, I don't like to take it away from the voters. We'll see what happens. As I said, both the front runners could fall. One or both could fall. But if they both stay strong. I don't see room for anyone else. There are plenty of voters out there who would like another alternative, particularly the kind of Mitt Romney, John McCain, George Bush wing of the party. But they may have to choose between Trump and DeSantis or to sit it out because if they want to vote for someone who can win the nomination, they may only have those two choices.
2: Um, you you mentioned the debates. Obviously, that can be a game changer. We've seen people who no one had heard of in both the Democratic and Republican debates uh, turn that uh, moment of fame into nationwide political organizations, sometimes to TV shows, as in the case of uh, Al Sharpton and Alan Keyes, um, book deals in the case of uh, people like Herman Cain, uh, a, a major run for mayor, as in the case of uh, Andrew Yang. When is the first? first Republican presidential debate. When is it likely to be? It's
3: likely to be in August in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, where the Republican Party will meet, and then a year later, they plan to hold their convention there. Um, I, as I understand it, the table uh, stakes to get into that one will not be particularly high. You'll have to be you know, somewhere in the polling and somewhere in terms of number of donors. But the RNC may well ratchet up uh, what it takes to get into the next debates. And you look at the polling standard, which is which is typically what parties and other organizations use to determine who can get into a debate. Right now, no one else is in double digits. You know, you see rough polling, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, five, six, seven, eight sometimes, occasionally higher. But it's going to be difficult to set a standard, a sensible standard, unless somebody explodes
4: uh, some other way
3: besides the debate stage, or maybe does well in the first debate with a lower threshold it can be difficult to for anybody to break into those double digits. And again, the RNC is going to face a choice. Do they set, keep setting a low standard or do they simply turn maybe by December, January to Trump versus DeSantis one-on-one debates? It's a real possibility
2: uh, mike pence was uh was here in this studio about uh, about 10 hours ago he was on a terrific radio show uh cats and cosby on uh, wabc in new york very on message when it came to politics when it came to uh, foreign policy this is what he had to say about foreign policy and where the biden administration was on that front
5: it, it's, it happens that Saudi Arabia hates our people in charge in Washington so much. China is using their influence to uh, get Saudi Arabia to recognize Iran. I mean, what is going on here, uh, Mr. Vice President?
1: I think you're witnessing a vacuum of leadership on the global stage, largely owing to the failed policies of the Biden administration. I mean, the fact that you now have, you had. Uh, uh, President Xi, in Moscow with Putin earlier this week, you you have China negotiating uh, relations and some sort of a normalization between Saudi Arabia and Iran is all evidence of a vacuum that's been created about the United States pulling back. I mean, we're sending mixed signals to our most cherished ally, Israel, and instead of building on the Abraham Accords, that were that was the first peace agreement in the wider Arab world, with the state of Israel and Arab nations in 25 years. And for the first two years of the Biden administration, they wouldn't even use the term Abraham Accords. Mark, in that one minute, Mike Pence did a
2: lot of very clever things. In only a minute, he basically signaled that he doesn't agree with DeSantis and Trump on the Russia-Ukraine situation. He kind of indicated he has a very different attitude, which is consistent with some of the things that he said. He appealed to people that view Iran as a major threat. He appealed to people that view Saudi Arabia as a major threat. He took a couple of shots at Biden, reiterates five times his support of Israel, which is popular not just with Jewish voters, but a lot of Christian Zionists. Is there any lane, uh, be it on the Christian right or social conservatives or anybody else? Is there any lane in which Mike Pence will be able to break through in a primary contest that includes both Trump and DeSantis?
3: Frank, your very sophisticated, clever annotation of that that minute of, of Mike Pence illustrates that on paper there should be a lane. I've known him, covered him for a very long time, back when he was a congressman from Indiana, before he was governor, before he was vice president. He's always been underrated, always very capable. His his four years in the White House only made him more conversant with national, international issues. And yet presidential campaigns are not run on paper. And there's just a, a confluence of factors that make him, I think, right now, a very big, long shot. I want to see how much money he can raise, not just because you need money to some extent to run for president, but also as a sign of the support that, that his folks say is out there. He should have the kind of lanes you're talking about. He should be seen on paper as a big alternative. But if you look at the data, if you look at the focus groups, if you talk to people in the party, he is not considered a strong candidate here. And because of his personal style, it's not clear that he has the capacity against two razzle-dazzle folks. I call them King Kong and Godzilla. I mean that respectfully, Trump and DeSantis. Pence does not have the personal razzle-dazzle, I think, to make it uh, clear how he breaks into the conversation. So I don't rule out that he's a player, but I think it's going to be very difficult for him with the skill set he has to go from where he is now to go to being a true contender for the nomination.
2: As I, I alluded to earlier... It appears that the most likely matchup in the general election is Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. And one of the reasons that's unique is that um, it seems like uh, at least a plurality of Democrats would prefer uh, someone other than Biden and a substantial amount of Republicans would prefer someone other than Trump on paper. That would seem to uh, open up a wide lane for a third party or independent candidate. I know uh, you were involved at one time with the No Labels group and you no longer are. But they have mounted this really vigorous ballot access campaign. And they're in the process of qualifying an unnamed presidential candidate for for the ballot. If there is a Trump versus Biden ticket. Do you see this being an election where we could see a viable, centrist third-party candidate?
3: I do, because of the work of No Labels, who, as you said, I've worked with. They're the only ones who have the foresight to say, if we get a matchup that turns off tens of millions of Americans who want a third choice, this may be the cycle. 2024 may be the year when that is not just a viable option, but a very, very strong option. And it requires ballot access. And No Labels has done the hard work, continues to, to make sure that they are in a position to give that ballot line to a ticket that could win. So the data is unprecedented. We've never seen, as you said, so many people of both parties unhappy with the likely nominees of their party. Tens of millions of people would be not just dispirited, but some would be disgusted if it was a rematch and if it were the only two options available. So I've always been skeptical in the past of such an effort. I think this 2024 could be the time.
2: Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Do we know the no labels timetable for when they would uh, pick a candidate or decide if they were going to run a candidate?
3: Based on the identity of the major party nominees, which typically is determined in March of the presidential year.
2: One of the questions I got earlier in the show was about a potential running mate for Trump and everybody has their favorites. Are you hearing anything from Trump world about who they may be seriously considering?
3: Nobody right now. I mean, it's always a great parlor game, a great guessing game. Uh, And, and Trump world normally, you know, is happy to engage on almost anything, but it's far too early for them to have a good sense. I, I think when you talk to folks there, a woman is more likely than a man at this point. Uh, but that doesn't narrow it down very much. And, and uh, they're really focused on making sure that, that uh, they're doing the right things to beat DeSantis or anyone else who rises up. So I don't think there is an answer yet that is meaningful from the point of view of who he might actually pick. Although, again, the speculation is pretty rampant. And, and I think uh safe to say it won't be Mike Pence or Ron DeSantis. <laughs>
2: Hey, uh, if uh, people want to subscribe to the Wide World of News newsletter, Mark, uh, what's the best, the easiest way for them to do that?
3: Just go in the Google machine and either enter my name and substack or enter Wide World of News. It will pop up as your first result. And you can subscribe. It doesn't cost you a dime to to read it every day. Uh, I I welcome people to contribute and and, and make voluntary uh, payments. but. You can read it every day
2: for free. All right, uh, Mark, I very much enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can do it again uh, next time you're in a similarly convenient time <laughs> zone.
3: Frank, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm Thank really you. Honored.
2: Mark Halperin, the honor's mine. Uh, check him out. The Wide World of News. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're certainly welcome to, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Marano. Straight ahead.
1: Every day when the work is behind you And the shop and the store Put the lock on the door you just get away Where your worries won't find you If you like, well, I'll tell you more Don't let the day get the better of you
0: When the evening comes There's so much to do You better put on your best
1: And wear a smile Just come along with me a while Cause I tell you
2: You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I have not gotten around to answering my personal emails in a while. So now, just because I don't have time. uh, By the end of the day, I, I don't have time to do the existing things that I have to do. So now, in my personal email box, there are 381 emails, unread, unread, that I have to go through. And I, one of my many... OCD idiosyncrasies is whether it's personal email or work email, I have to go through emails in chronological order. So I have to start from the very beginning. So there's a bunch of emails from the folks that are honoring me on, uh, I I believe it's uh, Thursday, April 20th at the New York Botanical Gardens with the national psoriasis foundation. And I feel bad because I haven't responded to these emails. Now, i bought a table, and I've, I think the radio station and John Katsimatidis, the radio network, were kind enough to buy a table as well, which is great. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you are buying a table. But I feel bad that I haven't been responsive. I don't want to say I've been totally ghosting them, but I have not been as responsive as I'd like to be. Not just with them, with a whole bunch of people in my life. Uh, there's there's a lot of people always texting and emailing and I just it takes me a while to get back to everybody, but um, in any event, I thought I would try and do something to help. Um, they're they're looking for volunteers for that event at the New York Botanical Gardens. I just shared the information. It's going to be Thursday, April twentieth. It should be a fun event. And it's. I just shared the information on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash morano fan. Uh, that's uh, facebook.com slash M O R A N O fan. And if you're interested in attending the New York Floor de Cure event and can lend a helping hand by volunteering, you can contact Linda Coughlin at the National Psoriasis Foundation. And I shared the information. On my Facebook page, it, her email is uh, L Coughlin at psoriasis.org. But it's right there on my Facebook page. You can um, you can go and check that out. And if you want to buy a table or or buy a couple of seats, you're certainly welcome to do that as well. You can use that same email address. But if you want to come, uh, but you don't want to buy the table, you don't have a money uh, right now. I think tickets the tickets are not expensive. I think they're only 100 bucks. And um, but if you don't want to buy a ticket, you can still go and volunteer and help. And uh, you feel like you're doing a good deed, uh, I'll, I'll be there certainly. And we can spend a little bit of time together, hopefully. And uh, it should be a nice event. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything at all, hopefully you're doing something fun this weekend. After my one, two, three, four, five meetings today, what do I have tomorrow? Tomorrow, I think uh, my sister-in-law, Sharon, and my co-brother-in-law, James, are coming over with their baby. uh, Carmine's first little cousin, at least first cousin, first little first cousin, uh, Eric. He has an older first cousin, Jolie, but um, she lives in California. So um, that's exciting for him to grow up with someone that's, uh, you know, around the same age as as him. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them. I am going to try and get some ping pong in this weekend. And I think I may have uh, a podcast to tape tomorrow for the Racket Report as well. By the way, I've been getting great feedback on this Racket Report podcast. So uh, before we – we may launch two new episodes in the next week. uh, Catch up on what you missed. Catch the racket report at the red apple podcast network.com or just search the racket report on, um, uh, you know, on any podcast app, iTunes or any podcast app at all. Then Sunday, I thought we were all set to have a nice, relaxing day at home because I am making a concerted effort not to do and make any social commitments on Sunday. No familial commitments on Sunday. But. I was told by my wife yesterday that we have uh we made plans to have brunch at my brother's on Sunday. Now at least it's brunch, not dinner, and I can get back home early and work on the show and maybe take a nap. Uh, but uh I that that's one more thing we have going on. And look, obviously spending time with family is important and it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of work, but uh I I it's like one of those things when you hope, when you anticipate having a day free and then you're told, oh, no, we already committed to blank. It's a little bit of a bummer. And uh, hopefully it is uh, cigar weather now that this is the first weekend in spring. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, uh, very quickly, let me mention this. They analyzed... Uh, Marlena Shiva is here, by the way. We're going to uh, talk with her about a wide variety of subjects. Last time she was here, she mentioned that she's producing that new uh, Andrew Cuomo podcast, and uh, we'll ask her what she's up... What, we'll ask her what he's up to, if anything. Um, this was a fun story, though. They analyzed a piece of Ludwig von Beethoven's hair, and they found... Using five 200-year-old locks of hair, scientists have sequenced the genome of Ludwig van Beethoven, one of the greatest musical geniuses in history, and researchers found the German composer was genetically predisposed to liver disease and had hepatitis B infection. Now, it's interesting because an autopsy after he died at age 56 determined he had cirrhosis of the liver, often caused by chronic drinking. The new findings... Suggest that there were multiple factors, including genetics. It's interesting. Help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: Complicated lyrics, you know that it is the beginning of our last hour of the program, which is kind of a bummer. The show is coming to an end, but uh, on the other hand, that means there's still an hour left to get to. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. From time to time, the critics on social media will ask, what is the deal with Marlena Schiavo? Why does Frank have her on so often? Well, the good news for you, the chorus of critics out there, and any new listeners who may not yet be shivaholics, is you are about to find out. In addition to being a producer, digital content creator, and humorist, Marlena is... Quickly making a name for herself as one of the greatest 21st century wits in the Northeast. And if they ever reconvene the Algonquin Round Roundtable, uh, she will undoubtedly sit in Dorothy Parker's chair. It gives me a great deal of pleasure. Welcome my friend, uh, Marlena shivo Hello, Marlena.
6: Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm great. I was so intrigued earlier this morning when you were talking about who you would want to spend or be stranded on an island with. For twenty years, and one of those people was Arthur Idala. Well, I, I see. I, I mean, I mean, does he know how deeply you feel for him? And would he <laughs> choose you if he were to be <laughs> stranded with his wife and kids? I uh, I don't know. I don't know if he would, but I figure Arthur. So he's. He... I feel like you should record that and put it in an audio Hallmark card to him. You think so? <laughs> you are
2: think? you Are you jealous that you weren't picked?
6: No. I don't want to be on that island with you guys, no offense. Fair enough. But I am sort of, like, amazed that, like, of all the people, you have a mother, a father, a step this, a step that, again, again. other siblings. You chose two of your three or four. How many siblings do you have?
2: But, again, you need people there, you know, for 20 years, right? And I love my parents dearly, but I'm looking for people that will be able to help um, not only the social aspect of the, the island, but... Be in their prime years of foraging, of uh, doing some spear fishing, doing some hunting. And, you know, uh, my dad is a great athlete now, but even he's starting to have some problems with, uh, sciatica or something, or I don't know if sciatica is the right thing, but he, he had to get a cortisone shot recently. I have a feeling his spear-fishing days may be rapidly approaching an end.
6: Um, I think that... Um, and I wasn't prepared for the question. <laughs> if I could think of the question, maybe I would think of, you know, uh, thinking of, uh, other things. Like, I don't things. know if this is going to bring you and Arthur closer, or if he's going to create some distance now. <laughs> he may think you uh, have some William Shatner feelings for him. Yeah. <laughs> And I know you'd bring him if he were thirty or forty years younger. <laughs> I
2: might bring Shatner anyway, actually come to think my about it. Dear Frank <laughs> that would be uh that he he he's in addition to any any island, but um well, who are you bringing on your island to oh, your, your prepared and children? for that yeah, no doubt
6: Oh, I'm not going to bring the husband, <laughs> No, you have to. <laughs> I had to bring my wife. Off. you have to bring your husband um I don't know um. I guess I would have to bring my be- – I'd have to bring Sarah. Forget it. Uh-huh. Sarah, hands down. My best friend Sarah and my other best friend Sabra maybe, although Sabra might drive me a little crazy. Um, you're right though. The longevity isn't there with the parents, right?
2: Right. Well, and, and, and they may live 20 years, but are they going to be in their prime living on an island You know, years, I mean, 10 or 15 years, like they're
6: not in their prime living on the mainland. So, no, (laughs) the answer is no. (laughs) So, let's just move on. All right, fair enough. Um, It's a tougher question than it, it is. It is a tough question to be asked on the fly, but I just love that, like, Arthur was on absolutely your top four.
2: Absolutely, no doubt. Interesting. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm still waiting for your other two. But well, you can come back. Uh, come back to us on this. Oh, okay. Now you are a coffee drinker, right? You have some coffee in front of you. I
6: am a hardcore coffee drinker.
2: You have um, you're pretty amped up already, even though you haven't sipped any coffee. I'm a
6: very energetic human being. I like that.
2: Me too. I have been, uh, I've been abstaining from, uh, from caffeine myself last two weeks, and I feel pretty, um, pretty amped up, but I do miss the, the coffee. Are you, are you a, Why are, Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
6: Why are you abstaining from coffee if you're well, already abstaining from alcohol?
2: I don't know. You know, I'm kind of in for a penny, in for, for a pound, you know. I, I you uh, must really
6: be repenting you, for something. No,
2: exactly. Exactly. But, um, the 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 thing with coffee is you don't strike me as part of the whole Starbucks culture,
6: are you? Oh, this is a, a very very interesting t- interestingly timed question. Yes, good. Because I am not one of those people. Uh, maybe more so when I was living in the city, um, because not being in your apartment was or your dwelling was mm-hmm. more of a thing. And um, my kids were young, I guess, and or non-existent before that. Anyway, Rebel, my older daughter, is now all into Starbucks—not coffee, but like their weird fruity, sugary drinks. And what do
2: they have? The fruity, sugary drinks. What are um,
6: the one is dragon fruit. One is called the pink drink, mm. and I don't know what the third one's called, but they, they are filled with sugar. And she has, like, this weird thing. I don't know what's going on at school that's making her want to bring a Starbucks cup to school. And so I had to buy her one, like, the, you know, the reusable one that says Starbucks on it. And she wants to, like, get these drinks the day before, pour them in, put them in the refrigerator. Anyway... I don't understand it. It's weird, but no. So go ahead. So I'm you not- don't hang
2: out there? No, I don't. Hang okay. Out well, because my dad was one of those guys. He was, I don't think he, I think he still goes to Starbucks, but he used to be one of these guys that hung out in Starbucks for 45 minutes for an hour you go off take his lunch hour at Starbucks I never got it I
6: didn't I don't do that um, the only time I ever really did that was for a 3 month or 2 month period I was lightly you know um, preparing for the LSATs um, in my late 20s and I really? was and I would sit there yeah and Did I, you take it? I did. But you didn't go and to law school. And I did get into law school. I did get in and but I you didn't, didn't go. go.
2: How did you do on the LSATs?
6: I did pretty well.
2: Why why didn't you go to law school then?
6: Because I liked making money. (laughs) And I I liked living on my own in New York. And I really didn't want to go back to being that college student all over again. Plus, if you really think about it, even though I can argue, I don't know if I would be creatively um, fulfilled. Yeah,
2: I get that. I get that. All right. Well, anyway,
6: Starbucks
2: has this new olive oil uh, infused coffee drink. They call it Oleato. And uh, they're now available in several major cities and uh, they they debuted in Italy, and apparently they are now coming to the United States as of uh, as of next week. Now Howard Schultz, who championed this Oleato plan before stepping down as the Starbucks CEO earlier than anticipated this week, he is convinced that olive oil coffee will be a game changer even though. I am not a Starbucks person. Yeah, I am going to go to Starbucks to try this. I am so curious because I just love the taste of olive oil. Mm-hmm. I am so curious to see how this tastes. Uh, are you going to try you. this?
6: I'm with you. Um, I, I hadn't heard of it until just now or earlier when you sent it to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't read it even then, but I saw the title. And I do love olive oil, too. I actually will eat a baked potato um with like a thing of olive oil in one bowl salt pepper and just dip these big baked- me too me you too do the same thing well yeah
2: i I I dip everything in olive oil oh, it's okay. got to be really good olive oil like nice uh extra virgin olive oil you know but uh, uh I, to- I,
6: well I can't say I dip everything in olive oil i I dip everything in hot sauce
2: oh hot sauce see that's see, that's a little bit you know it's a lot of, not that's not me but if you, you know you take a little olive oil and maybe some light seasoning throw a little garlic in there and some pepper and uh I have some infused olive oil I can't wait to try this um so far I've heard it's got mm, kind of mixed reviews I'm wondering what this is going to mean uh, for Starbucks, they're obviously doing pretty well ready, but uh, they have also an oleato cafe latte and also an oleato iced cordato where orange bitters and citrus help balance out the flavors. So they say that's kind of the mildest of all the oleatos.
6: Interesting. Okay, well... You and I will have to try it. Wonderful, and also see the movie Scream, and we'll come back and review both. Wonderful,
2: great. I, uh, you, you, you're on. Now, um, remind me, were you a Seinfeld fan?
6: Okay, um, I was. Um, I am a Curb fan, uh-huh. not as much of a Seinfeld fan.
2: But you like Julia Louis Dreyfus, love, though, right? right? So because um, Veep,
6: I mean that was amazing. I'm um, I-
2: totally amazing. Yes. Um, so she was in this very famous episode of Seinfeld, playing Elaine. And she's describing she had the opportunity to go to Africa. But unfortunately, she failed a drug test. And she's despondent about this. She didn't get to go to Africa. I was
1: going to meet the Bushmen of the Kalahari. Oh, the Bushmen? Yeah. And the Bushwomen.
2: Excuse me. I couldn't help overhearing. I noticed you're eating a poppy seed muffin there.
3: Yeah, I eat these muffins all the time.
2: Well, you know what opium is made from?
1: <laughs> Poppies!
2: So she failed her drug test due to the poppy seed muffin. Now, two New Jersey mothers, your state, uh, are alleging they're suing hospitals over drug tests after eating poppy seed bagels. Now, few people would ever expect that the simple act of eating a bagel would lead to the investigation of young mothers and their newborn babies over opiate use. But that's exactly what's happening. The pair of new mothers... They are, they are alleging that the hospitals where they gave birth violated their rights after performing drug tests on them without their consent. The drug tests came back positive and led them to both be reported for possible neglect or abuse just days after giving birth. Both mothers say that it was poppy seed bagels they ate for breakfast combined with the highly sensitive drug tests used by the hospitals and they're now suing the hospitals involved and they're backed up by the ACLU. I had um you know I'd heard from Bernie Carrick who obviously was the police commissioner and has a lot of other experience in law enforcement that it was a little bit of a myth that a poppy seed bagel could cause you to fail a drug test. What do you think based on your reading of this story do you buy what these women are selling?
6: Um I I don't know. I that that's kind of hard to um I, how many poppy seed bagels does one have to consume and how long does it stay in your system in order to show up as a drug
2: i don't know right see um according to the university of florida health poppy seeds do not contain opium but they can become contaminated with opiates containing in the uh, contained in the milky latex of the seed pod covering them during harvesting so Uh, The Defense Department's issued a warning to service members before drug tests, urging them not to consume foods with poppy seeds. But I I don't know how much you have to have.
6: Mm. Well, you should have asked this to the doctor you were talking about earlier or the guy at the diet clinic or whoever he was, because Mm. then he would tell you, um, you know, if you continue to eat that level of bagels, you keep consuming them, that not only will you fail a drug test, but you will be a candidate that's, for these diabetes drugs that they're handing out. Yeah, to
2: that's, uh, so um, you're, you're going to reserve judgment on this one.
6: Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I believe them 100%, but you know what? You never know. I mean, look, I, what else shows up as, like, I ate bagels when I was pregnant and I, I gave birth and nobody.
4: But do they told do a drug
6: test? Well, clearly they did a clandestine one right, on these right. women. But, but so I have do do no forever? idea. I
2: didn't know that they, they that they uh, can they do the... it
6: without your consent. You sign a lot of papers when you get to the hospital. Do you read them all? Well,
2: I think that's part of what the what the gist of this uh, this situation is. Um, and now you are you're more of a vodka drinker than a whiskey drinker, right?
6: Oh my God! I'm uh, yes, I don't drink whiskey at all.
2: And not at all. No. Okay. Well, so I, I like both. I think there's room for both. I'll even occasionally indulge in some gin. Jack Daniels, uh, Tennessee whiskey. It's been around for 100 years. One of the most recognizable brands that there is. I particularly like the Gentleman Jack. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court devoted more than an hour and a half on Wednesday to hearing about Jack Daniels and dog poop because there's this big trademark question that pits the iconic Jack Daniels trademark against a chewy dog toy company that's making money by lampooning the, the the whiskey. And ultimately, the case centers on dog poop. So the lawyer for Jack Daniels got right to the point with her opening sentence. She said, this case involves a dog toy that copies Jack Daniels trademark and trade dress and associates its whiskey with dog poop. (laughs) So um, the toy looks like a vinyl version of a Jack Daniels whiskey bottle, but the label is called Bad Spaniels, featuring a drawing of a spaniel on the chewy bottle, and instead of promising 40% alcohol by volume, instead promises 43% poo and 100% smelly. Um... there's no clear sign, unlike a lot of other cases which are so politically charged these days, and you can tell where the conservative justices are going to vote and the liberal justices are going to vote, there's no clear sign of how the justices are going to rule on this. But if you were on that court, how would you rule? Uh, Jack Daniels or the dog
6: toy Well, I think I actually do think that um, you can tell because if you were in a blue state— or even a, a blue city, let's say San Francisco. They're definitely going to err on the side of poo. <laughs> they apparently love piles of um, poo, all kinds um, on the street. I don't really know. I, I don't think it's a, a clear cut. There's a clear cut answer there. I just find it uh, um, amazing that um, there's a product out there, a chew toy, that would guarantee that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It's a joke. Oh. Oh my god that's how much I drifted off in that story you just told I I'm like what that doesn't even make any sense you, you get it it's just they're yeah, taking but who, 43 percent who is paying proof. attention like if you really think about it like who's really paying attention to this one product that's out there and associating it with Jack Daniel's well clearly
2: Jack Daniel's is paying pretty close attention and and i guess at least 3 justices made the decision to hear this case oh i think this falls for, firmly in the realm of parody which is protected speech and uh, i if i were on the supreme court I would be siding with the dog chew toy, even though uh, I have more of a vested interest in befriending the Jack Daniels folks than the dog chew toy folks.
6: Well, I'm really glad that you were able to get that off your chest in the time that we have together here.
2: All right. I'm sorry I didn't meet your standards. Let me ask you about this. Last time you were here, you uh, you confessed that you are now uh, producing... The confessed. To the that is an
6: interesting yes, yes, it is
2: verse. you confess that you are now producing the uh the andrew cuomo podcast yes. how's that going
6: it's going well, it is a very busy time um you know as these things go um you start in one place and you end up in another place and then another place and you're just doing different things and trying different things and doing more and there's a lot of social media involved and editing involved and um i uh i think it's going well i think it's going well um i love working with andrew cuomo um i uh i um i like that it's a small it's just kind of there's no one i mean it's just you know it's a podcast so it's like i'm the producer and he's the talent and i don't know it's fun um every week is a different challenge uh uh, yeah and a different story literally and um I don't know. I think it's going well. I miss I miss the beginning when we were doing the cuomo slomo stuff because you know how I love that stuff. Yeah,
2: and people could see that on uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, uh, social media. Um, what are you guys – what's this week's podcast about?
6: Oh, OK. So we talked about anti-Semitism. This is actually the second time that he talked about anti-Semitism um, on the podcast, it was a little bit of a different take, and it it circled around uh, Benjamin Net- Netanyahu's um, judiciary judiciary reform that are currently um, under scrutiny, and he, he, you know, is focusing on the rise of anti semitism um, based on. Um, progressive politics veiled in progressive politics mainly people who are now moving towards pro-palestinians i saw that as 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 a human rights issue Mm -hmm. but then it becomes an anti-jewish issue right like position right if you're on the side of Palestine, if you're sympathizing with palestinians you're opposite the jews and then that incites anti-semitism and, um, now, um,
2: again, not that you're necessarily a, a scholar on, um, Israel Palestinian relations. I beg maybe your you pardon. Are. Maybe you are. Not, but, but, um, is it possible, um, to be, and this came up yesterday when we were talking about Roger Waters being banned from Germany. Uh, is it possible to be critical of Israel and the Israeli treatment of the Palestinians? And not be anti-Semitic. I, I think that's sort of the question that that a lot of the supporters of independent Palestinian statehood consistently bring up.
6: It is. Um, I th- I think that it is. But I think the issue goes way deeper um, because if you have, because there's also been this move toward um, the the right being now the the supporter of Israel, where the lefts or the left is sort of weakening their support. Mm. Um, for Israel, when it used to be the reverse, and it it's weird that this wouldn't be just a bipartisan issue for America or for the United States um, specifically because it benefits the United States, so i don't you know. Yes, I don't know. I don't he, know.
2: He, here was Andrew Cuomo uh, condemning anti-Semitism. Very controversial position he's staking out there. Here, here, Here's Governor
1: Cuomo.
5: It is the pinnacle of hypocrisy for anyone to advance anti-Semitism in the name of progressive democratic politics. There you go.
2: No bones about it. Now, um, I mentioned this during one of my local commentaries, a full-page ad in the New York Post today indicating that he is going to be heard tonight on WABC exclusively from 8 to 9 p.m., um, filling in on WABC, and he's going to actually take calls. I mean, you want to talk about stepping into the lion's den. Uh, The the listeners of WABC think, I'm too liberal for them. I
6: can't wait.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to see what they do to Andrew Cuomo. What is this going to be like?
6: Um, I don't know actually. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like. I'm sure it's going to be great cuz he's he's very good at fielding questions and he's a good speaker. He's a great speaker. Um, I mean, actually, I got to tell you a funny story. Uh, you're not to now we did two interviews yesterday. Was it yesterday? What day are we in? It's Friday we, uh, No, Friday, no. T- We did t- two interview. We taped two interviews on Wednesday. One aired uh to Thursday, and then the next one will air today on anti-Semitism, right? But um, we weren't in our, our normal New York studio. We were at his house. We, we sometimes toggle between the two. And um, there were <laughs> a cacophony of issues going on. Um, and, and not to get into all the, like, technical stuff, but we there were a few hiccups in the beginning of this one interview, right? Just uh, with on the technical side, we were, had to kind of stop and start again and stop and start again. Stop and start again. Um, and then after all, we got through that, right? And and when I mean me, we, I mean me. After I got through that and I'm standing there, I turn, I trip over a wire and completely knock a lamp off oh, no. the side of his desk. And it just goes on. And you can hear Did it. it break? And that man, because oh, like, I I had to go through all the, the stuff today. Yeah. Um, it It didn't break, break, like shatter. It definitely like, it broke into a few pieces that we were able to put back together. I mean, it, we didn't stop. He kept going. But mind you, I'm standing next to him, so I didn't completely see his reaction. Well, there wasn't one at all, which is incredible. If, if that flagpole behind you oh, yeah. came crashing down, you'd probably turn or yeah, do something, right? Now, the man, I don't even think he blinked. And That's <clears throat> I didn't crazy. Know that's was psychotic. I to, when I had to go through it, because I wanted to isolate the audio on the other side and get that crash out of there. So I had to see where it was. I mean, I laughed hysterically like over and over again because after the fact, it was funny. Not in the moment, of course. And his face didn't even move. So, all that to say, I think that whatever questions come his way, he's ready for it because not even a crashing lamp in the middle of an interview. Wow. Can That's shake intense. that man.
2: That's like uh, Joe DiMaggio uh, eating donuts at uh, Dinky Donuts while dunking. Nothing distracts him. That's impressive. Hey, uh, so there was the rumor, um, without betraying any confidences, uh, there was the rumor that he was looking at running against uh, Senator Gillibrand next year. Have you heard anything about that?
6: I haven't. No? I have. I don't have any information on that. But I, everyone, not everyone, but there have been people other than you who have said that or have asked me if that mm. is going to occur. And, um, I couldn't tell you, I have no would. more, I have no more knowledge than you do on that.
2: Uh, it would uh, certainly be interesting. 800-848-9222. Marlena Schiavo is here. Find her on all forms of social media at Marlena Schiavo. That's S-C-H-I-A-V-O. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick.
4: Yeah. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I called about the olive oil and the coffee and I, I was, has she ever had that?
2: Uh, no, Marlena, you, you are the she that he's referring to. You have never had that, right?
6: Um, thank you for using my proper pronoun. Yes, I I, I nev- never tried it. Uh, I just heard it for the first time when Frank presented it to me. So, But I will be trying it.
3: Yeah, I think you both might like it. I, uh, I, I haven't tried the olive oil, but for the last decade, I've been putting a pat of butter in my coffee every morning. Every and,
4: morning? Wow. Oh. Oh, it's delicious.
0: You know,
2: I've tried that as well, actually, and it is pretty good.
3: Yeah, it, it makes it velvety when it goes down your throat, and that might be why the olive oil is is catching on. It's not so much the taste of the olives, because I can't really see that going lower well with coffee, but the,
1: the f- texture of it going down is phenomenal.
2: Interesting. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to trying it, uh, Rick, and uh, maybe we'll see you at Starbucks online there with all the people that hang out there like my dad does. 800 uh, Russ is in White Plains. Hello, Russ.
5: Hi, Frank. New York City Comptroller Scott Stringer uh, defunded the Bronx defenders when they put out an anti-cop video at the height of the BLM riots. That showed true leadership. But among the the long list of bad deeds done by Andrew Cuomo is how a woman came out of the woodwork to make a hashtag MeToo claim against Scott Stringer. Her lawyer was connected to uh, Andrew Cuomo, and then she just disappeared again. But I want to ask Marilena. She inspired me, uh, you know, with Quarantina. I'd like to know where Quarantina went. It's a little deflating that she's working with Andrew Cuomo, but that's the balance in life. I'd like to know, was Quarantina a psychologist, astrologer? And and I'd like to know if she understood why certain people— People do not want to let go of obsessive and compulsive behavior, like the mask and going out. And why do these people attribute all the effects of the lockdown to the virus itself? Does she have any ideas about that? Thank you. A uh, uh, very
2: good, good question. Thank you. I'll leave that to you to take any. Uh, direction I definitely have you opinions want.
6: about that. Um, I, I I don't I don't know. I think that you know there are people that I've said this to to Frank before that are capable of being hypnotized, and there are people that are incapable of being hypnotized. And I. There is no study to back up what I'm about to say, but I do truly believe that the personality type that is um, h- highly susceptible to being hypnotized um, you know responds to suggestive um, things like w- wearing a mask and 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 you know doing things that they're told um, just because they're told to do it and absolutely do not go outside the realm of what they're told. Uh, and and do not and and they just keep doing it. As a matter of fact, when I was walking in the studio today, a man was in his car going up 3rd Avenue with a mask. He was by himself. You're kidding. Oh my And goodness. I'm just like it is 2023.
2: Even President Biden is disbanding his COVID task force.
6: I know. And you know, you know, please. I work with Andrew Cuomo. He he was the one who
2: Right, Mr. Lockdown.
6: He was Mr. Mandate, Mr, you know, mask mandate. Um, we're, you know, I'm not working in a mask. <laughs> He's not working in a mask. No one talks about COVID. Um, this had a lasting effect on a lot of people. A lot of people um, are, were fearful and that fear just never dissipated. And I just think that that's just what it is. It's mm. it, I, I would call them weak minded. And that's just my opinion. Again, not based in anything, but my opinion.
2: Um, all right. Let me run this by you before we do the uh, the thousand dollar minute. Um, the, the a woman uh, was on a British Airways flight at, where a person died, unfortunately. The incident happened on December 21st, and a passenger directly two rows behind her passed away in the most horrific way, and according to the woman on social media, giving us the most traumatic experience during a flight. And now... This woman is complaining that British Airways has done nothing to compensate her for the extreme trauma that she claims she experienced watching a fellow passenger die on her flight. Uh, Do you believe that this woman should be entitled to compensation for the trauma of someone dying on her flight.
6: Wait, so but she's the only one on the flight that wants to be compensated for this. I
2: mean, she's the only one that has Being been vocal about uh, it that we've seen. I'd be yeah.
6: curious about what the compensation would entail. Is it a refund on her ticket? Is it beyond that? Because British Airways isn't responsible. And I haven't. I have a follow up to this. I saw a video today. Did you see this video of a guy bungee jumping in Th- uh, in Thailand? No. Or, or was it Taiwan? Wait, Taiwan doesn't matter. He was traveling. He was bungee jumping. It breaks. He falls oh into the water. It's shallow water, and he was injured. He was. He's okay. Went to the hospital. The the bungee cord company gave him three hundred dollars in compensation
2: for the bungee cord breaking.
6: For the bungee for the bungee cord breaking. Yeah,
2: I feel like that guy should have got. Now a little I feel more. like
6: the compensation for that guy is an obvious. Is an obvious one, and it should have been way more than $300, right? I would agree. Okay. Um, so, But this woman, um, yeah, British Airways wasn't responsible for anybody um, passing away. So, no, I don't think that she should be compensated. She
2: claimed the flight services were halted, and aside from the initial meal and drinks, um, they were discontinued, so we did not receive a thorough flight experience that we had paid for. The infuriated writer says the incident left her family extremely sad and traumatized, and they experienced many sleepless nights. Quote, I would have expected some sort of communication from British Airways to those of us that have been on the flight, particularly close enough to have been impacted and witnessed the whole experience to check on our well-being apologize for the experience and offer I don't mean to laugh at someone dying but I mean to for the airline to apologize for this person dying is i think laughable and offer some sort of compensation or counseling following it you're not giving her anything
6: i mean communication is one thing mm-hmm. but when you say compensation that's a whole other level if they if they didn't apologize for the inconvenience of someone dying, I mean, m- maybe they could go that far and just say, you know, we're very sorry that you had to experience this. This is not a normal situation for our flights, but, you know, life happens everywhere, even on flights. That would be the long and short of it for me um, When it when it comes to this case. I don't think she needs to be compensated because if she were compensated, the entire airplane would have right. to be compensated. And then as far as getting any sort of psychological support... Well, then go get it.
2: Well, well, she wants the airline to, I guess, provide it or at least pay for it.
6: The, well, OK. Well, no, I'm no. sorry. No. OK,
2: it's fair enough. All right. Uh, we're going to do the thousand uh, dollar minute momentarily. If you think you have what it takes to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds and you think you can do it, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 and then what else do we have in store melina i think we have uh, we have some uh, o- let responses to open letters we don't or-
6: have we not no we have something a little bit different which is um, my sort of um, half joking pitches pitches to the babylon Bee.
2: Excellent. I love it. All right. Seventh caller to 800 848 9222. We'll see how well you do in the $1,000 minute in a moment. We'll see how well Marlena does as well. She's ineligible for the $1,000, though, we believe. Uh, we'll 800 9222. Seventh caller. We'll play the $1,000 minute straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
2: Here we are, uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, singing about uh, our in-studio guest, Marlena Shaivo, a noted digital content producer, humorist, and uh, a number of other distinguished titles, Mother of Two. And uh, we're going to see how she fares in this edition of
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank
2: Murano. Here to play and actually try and win the money is Roy in New Jersey. Hello there, Roy.
1: Hey, Frank, how you doing?
2: I'm well, Roy. I'm well, thank you. Uh, Are you you familiar with this contest?
1: I am. I, I catch it just about every day.
2: Oh, good. Okay, so you know the rules. I don't have to explain them again. Okay, uh, then uh, let's go ahead and get started. What radio station are you listening to our show on? Uh, WOR. Right? No, we're not on WOR. Oh, <laughs> Roy! I'll be on the spot.
1: I blew it already. Right? That's supposed
2: to be the giveaway question. You? We would have taken the quote letters. We would have taken the. The signal, you know, um, you, you know oh, I mean, that's a pretty big error. Roy. What a Mama Luke. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Gonna miss. I'm sorry. Hey, win. I'm going to put you on hold. Give your information to Kenneth. and I crashed um, and, and we will see. We will give you a <sighs> consolation prize, okay? <laughs> All right, Frank. thank you. Right. Sorry. Tell, tell our friends at what W.O.R. we said hello. Uh, if George Norrie's uh, <laughs> around, you know, tell him, uh, tell him hi. Um, what the hell are you talking about? That was something. All right. Uh, so, let's see. Did you get it right?
6: I did get it right. You did? Well, I did. You crossed something? Oh,
2: no. Okay. You specified. Okay. I,
6: yeah, I, I did both. Call letters and then what it would be on an AM dial. Well, um, some
2: bad news for you and I, evidently, in that... Um, we are poised to die from a heart attack evidently
6: uh we we definitely are um, and I can't even talk to you about the details of that, but basically um people who do not sleep um like you or me um are on our way on the fast track to a heart ha- a how, heart attack. How much sleep do you get a day oh um maximum well average average would be Maybe five hours?
2: Five hours. So I know you get up super early to work out, right? Mm -hmm.
6: I think I do at
2: least six hours a day. Is that – that's insufficient? But even
6: if I don't work out, I'm still up. My body just gets up. Mm -hmm. And what did you say? What did you –
2: I think I'm doing on average six hours, usually.
6: Yeah. I would say, yeah, I'm somewhere around that.
2: Usually I think I get about 7 a.m. Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern. That's six hours, right?
6: Yeah. uh, Yeah. So I think Uh I'm – this week is probably one of the worst weeks of sleep that I've had in a very long time uh, where at like, I usually won't stay up super late though. It's not like I'm up till two and getting up at five. I'm, you know, I, I last night was whatever night it was. I stayed up until two o'clock in the morning, but I had gotten up at three forty-five in the morning because we were taping and I had to finish some work and I fell um. asleep before I had a chance to finish it. So when I woke up just naturally, I was like, I looked at the clock and I was like, I have to get out of bed because I had a, a stuff to do. So it was probably like maybe three thirty, three forty-five. by the time I got downstairs and just started like pounding out this work. And then, um, and then I took my shower and I went and then was up until two because um, it was just I had to be. Uh, I had stuff to do and then I had to uh, deal with some of the edits and stuff like that. So, so it's because
2: you're working. You're not sleeping that much generally this week anyway.
6: Well, this week, and I'm just saying that I never caught up on that. I was exhausted I this see. afternoon, and then today, forget it. I mean, last night into this morning, maybe I would say an hour and a half, two hours. Uh,
2: so, yeah, I guess uh, what is the ideal amount of sleep? Uh, I to think it varies.
6: I really do think it varies per person. I feel like my friend, Sarah, who I would have on an island, and I still right. have figured out Made the other two. very clear, yes. So I haven't thought about it. Um, That girl needs like nine to 10 hours of sleep. That's too much. It's over the top. Eric, uh, my spouse, needs endless sleep. And I'm pretty sure it's because he has sleep apnea. And by the way, that's why you and I are going to die because we might also be. Well,
2: so why do you think he has sleep apnea? Does he snore? He does snore and he's
6: constantly yawning. So, he so- will, he'll fall asleep. Let's just pretend he goes to sleep at 1030 or fall asleep at 10. He is dragging himself out of bed at, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, like to the point where he can barely open his eyes and he's yawning the rest of the day and can't wait to get back in bed the following evening. What?
2: so I mean, why doesn't he get a sleep study to see if he has sleep apnea? He's
6: on his way to do that now. Oh, he is? yeah. Right yeah. this moment. Um it, in 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 recent weeks, oh, okay. he I think he went to an ear nose and throat person. They gave him some sort of something or other. I mean, I would tell you more details if I listened in depth to what he tells me, but I just know that it was in the realm.
2: <laughs> Lucky man that <then>, Eric. Um, <laughs> So um, but, uh, you know, I was talking with uh, a colleague of mine here who has sleep apnea and he was saying how he was found himself drifting off while driving. And he knew that was an indication in spite of getting a full night's sleep, that that was something wrong. And he went and got the sleep apnea. So he turned out he had sleep apnea. Now he's got a CPAP mask and it has changed his life for the better. Actually, I know two people. Uh, that I've worked with. I've heard had.
6: other people talk about this mask and it changed their life, which um, is a funny sentence in recent times. <laughs> well, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, you know, I I don't have sleep apnea. I don't. I don't. But I have completely stopped breathing at times and know it. So I while um, you're sleeping, while I'm sleeping, well, so that is
2: sleep apnea.
6: Well. If it happens all the time, yes, but like most people have sleep apnea who do stop breathing. They just kind of wake up and go back to sleep and they don't even know they stop breathing. I'm in a dream and in that dream, there's no air going in or coming out. And let me tell you, I'm suffocating and I'm literally suffocating in real life where I'm trying to move my body in my dream to wake myself up. And it is absolutely terrifying. I can it's it sounds like as if terrifying. someone puts their hand over your mouth and and closes your no- nose and you cannot get even an iota of air in. What would that in. be
2: if it's not sleep apnea?
6: It's like the position I'm laying in. I mean, I, you know. Do, are
2: you a side sleeper, back sleeper, stomach?
6: Oh, no. Uh, yeah, side. And yeah, a side sleeper. Well,
2: side, they say, is the best position to sleep in. Right. If, but, if you're still stopping breathing, I think that's a pretty good indication.
6: Well, I start on my side, but I will fall right, into my yeah. back or, or part of my back. I, I'm never on my stomach. But, um, you know, if I wake up and then I'll fall back into that dream phase and it'll happen three... Like about three or four times until I go, oh my God, I have to actually switch yeah, positions. I mean, or I, I'm going I, I think to think that's a pretty frightening indication that it is sleep apnea. Um, but it's not all the time. It's it's not all the time. It happens, I'll say maybe once a month, and it is the
2: worst. It sounds horrible.
6: It is horrible. Because I'm like, is this the moment where I can't wake myself oh my up? Goodness. And I am going to die.
2: Ooh, uh, you should look at that. I mean, the only thing I think sleep apnea is more common with people that are a little bit overweight, not exclusively, but you know, more common. And obviously, you're in very good shape, so maybe, maybe it's something else. But I would definitely have that looked at. <laughs> that's concerning. All right, let me ask you about this. Um, a North Carolina mother was shocked at the selfie her son sent from school showing his mouth taped shut. And she says her 11-year-old son, Brady, can be talkative and a class clown, but she's distraught about the way a teacher in North Carolina and a middle school handled this behavior. And she apparently taped his mouth shut. And uh, uh, this has ignited quite a controversy Uh, as a parent and as somebody that's been involved in your local school board. What do you think of this?
6: Oh, I think it's travesty. If my child sent me a picture that looked like this kid with multiple pieces of tape over the mouth, I I would be I I don't know if I could control myself. I am not a violent person, but I don't think that um I could control myself in that situation. That is child abuse. Uh, but- at the hands of a teacher who's supposed to have your child's best interest and in safety um as their first priority. Do we know
2: if um, this is legit? I mean, could this be something that the
6: student was doing? This person, this teacher resigned, and Uh, other students reported the same teacher doing the same thing to them and also bounding their hands at times. I mean, that's insane. And how did anybody else in the school not hear about this and report this person before this kid sent a selfie?
2: Yeah. Uh, Unless
6: they told this story backwards and this was already in the works and then the mother decided to put this person on blast, even though they haven't even said who right. this person is. But right. Anyway, I wish that was a fake story like uh, the Babylon Bee.
2: Yeah. Um let me one more similar story I have oh, to okay. get your take on. A Florida principal is also out after viewing a viewing of Michelangelo's David upsets parents. The principal of Florida's Tallahassee Classical School is out of a job after parents complained that their sixth grade children were shown Michelangelo's 16th century David sculpture, sculpture with one parent calling it pornographic. The now former principal, Hope Carasquilla, so uh, told the Huffington Post that the situation was also a little more complicated than that, noting that the usual protocol is to send parents a letter before students are shown. Um, such classical artwork, but due to a series of miscommunications, the letter didn't go out.
6: I, I think <laughs> this is out.
2: <laughs> this is absolutely uh, crazy. I mean, where, I mean, where do you come down on this?
6: I mean, it, the fact that they're calling it uh, pornography is insane, right? I mean, that's where you're going with this, right? Or do you think that these children should not have seen a statue of a...
2: No, I think they should see it.
6: Okay. And they're sixth graders, by the way. It's not like it was, right. it was a class of kindergarten kids. Um I think it's stupid. I mean, in the age of TikTok and all these other platforms and the stuff that they're seeing on there, this is nothing. And it's art. And I'm sure they've seen worse already. So, no, I I just think it's ridiculous. But this is Florida. We're talking about Florida. You know, all all the wing nuts go to Florida and, uh, you know, cause... An uproar about anything and everything that isn't—I don't even know what.
2: All right, I do need that pen back because you take la- it back. The I last time the someone else handled it, they misplaced my pen cap, and it created a big controversy. The last
6: thing I would ever want to do is mishandle your pen. Thank you. Or anything that you own that or on your person that might be shaped oh, like a pen. Please, please. <laughs> um, now,
2: okay, Babylon B.
6: Babylon B. Now, if you know. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the Babylon Bee, and it it's basically is, like The
2: Onion, right? It is
6: like The Onion, but it's better. I love that they're. they're I love that they, it's fake news you can trust, which is really funny because it is so close to being news right. that you would think is true. Yeah, it's clever. So I'll give you um, one or two of their headlines, and and just to give an idea to anybody who hasn't seen this. So. Um, th- This one is uh, government demands TikTok stop spying on Americans as that's their job. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true, right? And so um, this one is nine signs your newborn might be trans. Now,
2: this has not appeared in the Babylon Bee yet, right?
6: This is – I'm giving you their headlines so that anybody who hasn't read it has an idea. Um and I'll just give you one more of an, a legit Babylon B article. Um as legit and, as they get. As legit, you know, that they that they have put out and is published. Um and a Gen Z uncapitalizes every letter in tweet to make it seem like she's not trying so hard. <laughs> okay, okay, okay I like so that. all right. So fine. So I have a few of my own. All right. Uh the first one is Dr. Anthony Fauci says he's not ruling out the possibility that there could have been a wet market inside the Wuhan lab. Okay.
2: That's clever. I like that. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that you're starting with a, a COVID jet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think they they would like that actually. Are you gonna really submit <laughs>
6: these? I hope you do. Yes. I'm gonna Good. write I'm gonna write actual stories to my fa I haven't figured out which my favorite one is yet, and I will submit it because this is my uh this is my palette right here. Love you it. know that. Absolutely. Uh, so the next one is leaks in Washington suggest that Chinese spy balloon was actually created by Chat GPT.
2: Oh, that's uh, blending the AI and everything. Okay.
6: So this far, one, my first
2: is the first one is my favorite.
6: You might like this next okay. one. Uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul sends multiple buses filled with drag queens to Florida and Texas. <laughs> you know she should do
2: that. <laughs> And Arkansas because they banned the drag shows. Uh, uh, Tennessee,
6: Tennessee, they they banned the. Jags, I think but...
2: Arkansas also. Oh
6: really? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: That is brilliant. That's great, and I think actually that's a good suggestion for Hoke.
6: Well, it it it, it is, and but I don't know if I can actually write and submit that because I I work for Andrew Cuomo. Oh. So yeah. I don't even. Well, think Well, right that under that... a
2: pseudonym, right under a pseudonym, like uh, Stephen King wrote under pseudonyms. A lot of great writers. There you go.
6: Maybe not. I might. I'm okay. This next one. I'll explain to you what I might do in in lieu of Kathy Hochul. Three signs you are too woke to be a parent. First sign, you write your child's pronouns on his, her, their lunch. <laughs> okay. Second is you guilt your kids into sending their allowance to Ukraine.
2: <laughs> okay. I like that one.
6: And the last one is you plan a gender reveal party for your two-year-old child. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is very clever. So that one I, I like was that thinking one a lot. would be one that that's, that's I would that's big. That's write big. about. Um, you have one more?
6: That is no. it. Okay,
2: good. We're out of time anyway. All right. Uh, Marlena Shivo is here. You can follow her on Twitter. At uh, Marlena, S-C-H-I-A-V-O. And if you want to uh, complain about anything she said over the course of the hour, you can join our Facebook group and do so. It's uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano, or just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Thank you as always, Marlena.
6: Oh, thank you, Frank. I'm really looking forward to you uh, breaking your alcohol fast. Me too. At this karaoke bar. That's right.
2: Holy Thursday.
6: Be there, or be nowhere. I, I think I want to serenade your first drink with, hello, darkness, my own friend. <laughs> I think someone should do it if I don't do it. 15 seconds
2: of fame next at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. 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 It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of fame. fame.
2: 15 seconds. Say whatever you like. 800-848-9222. Mike. Morning, Frank. A suggestion
0: on your 20-year island excursion. Why don't you take Curtis and his three
2: ex-wives? At least he'll be entertained. Dr. Evil.
0: Hello, Frank. How are you? W-O-R, Frank. I mean, really. Where do you find these contestants from, Frank? Maybe if you increase the winnings to one hundred billion dollars, you might get a better contestant. <laughs> Fred. Hey Frank, I think Popeye
3: enhances his spinach with a little olive oil. G- 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 g-
0: Ray. Uh, great interview with Mark. Um, thanks for keeping George Weber uh, a radio voice silenced way
2: too early. Tony. Sizzamoron, scissor moron, scissor since...
1: Joe. Frank, the first question should be, what's your first name? I've these done people that. Are before. Morons. I've done
2: that. And finally Rick.
4: Good morning. Will these immigrants coming to America from South America and Central America? They should send them to ghost towns. There's plenty of ghost towns around America, right?
2: On that note, Rick, uh, that slams the lid on things for the week. I'll be back on Monday. Um, You know what? I'm sorry we didn't play a George Weber clip or anything yesterday. I wish I would have thought of that. Maybe we'll do that on Monday uh, in his memory. Until then, uh, Frank Moreno, good day.
1: Instacart shoppers, no groceries.